Now we're sleeping with celebrities, relaxing with rest and ease. Don't worry, we're not having sex with these celebrities. The purpose here is a pleasant lull. We'll give you some stories dull until you're tired and your head is full of sleeping with celebrities. Hello, welcome to a special called Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. This is not a podcast. It's a piece of tactical audio. The goal here is not to inform or entertain or provide insight. The goal is to place you in another state of consciousness. We want you to fall asleep. The idea is to play this special from your phone next to your bed or your smart speaker or your wraparound headphones, and you'll hear what me and some celebrities say. Instead of the internal monologue, you sometimes play for yourself when you're trying to sleep. Instead of replaying everything you said to people that day or years ago and going over it in your head and worrying about what you said wrong. So we invited some of the friends of my normal show, Depresh Mode, um, some former guests who have been on that show, hosts from other shows, and we asked them to talk about something incredibly boring and tedious, but something they could talk about at length, at merciless, prolonged length. Our hope is that you will not hear the end of this episode, and it is a very long episode. But if you do get to the end, that's okay. You didn't fail. Just play it again. The important thing is that you rest. If you're hearing this special, Sleeping with Celebrities, you may be a donor to Depression Mode, and that's how you got access to this, and I thank you for that. Enjoy the contentment that such a kind act gives you. That might help you relax a little. So here's what's going to happen. First, I'm going to tell you about the key similarities and differences between Dubuque, Iowa and Duluth, Minnesota. Then, and you might want to write this stuff down, get a pen and some paper. At 21 minutes and 10 seconds, thereabout, times are approximate, comedian and writer Josh Gondelman will describe the daily routine of his elderly pug, Busy. At 32 minutes and 6 seconds into the show, Janet Varney, TV and movie actor, host of the JV Club podcast here on Maximum Fun, will tell us about long drives from Tucson to Glacier National Park that she took when she was a kid. At 53.56, Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He will tell us about running shoes and running socks. At 104.47, Travell Anderson and Jarrett Hill from the podcast Fanti will lead a discussion of glasses sliding down your nose and also how to prepare 
Rice. At 117.34, Lisa Hanawalt from the Baby Geniuses podcast on Maximum Fun, creator of the animated show Tuca and Birdie. Tuca and Birdie are birds, but, but Lisa's going to talk about horses. At 136.26, from Jordan and Jesse Go, Jordan Morris and Jesse Thorne are with us about the West Coast. 154.05, Bridger Weinegar, comedy writer and podcast host, shares his favorite cookie recipes and then gives an update on his cousins. 223.25, Laura House stops by to talk about packing. 244.57, John Hodgman. Enjoy, sleepyhead. Hi, it's John Moe. I sometimes travel around the country giving speeches at different places. Different organizations host me, and I give speeches there about mental health. And I've, I'm, I'm based, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's the smaller of the two twin cities in Minnesota. And as such, I often travel in this area. I've given a couple of speeches in Duluth, Minnesota over the years, one down by the waterfront and one at the old historic high school. After the high school speech, I had to, um, I had to drive all the way to Des Moines, Iowa for a speech the next day. That was really something. And I've also been to Dubuque. This was much more recently. Um, I was invited to give a speech at Clark College in Dubuque. Might have been Clark University. I can't exactly recall. But it was Clark. Spelled with an E at the end of Clark. So I got to spend a little bit of time in Dubuque. And something that I noticed was that there are a lot of similarities and a lot of differences between Dubuque and Duluth. I'll explain some of those now. The first thing to notice is that they both start with the letters D-U. They're both next to bodies of water. Duluth, of course, is next to uh, Lake Superior. Dubuque is um, next to the Mississippi River. It winds down. Dubuque is on the, the border. Um, it's actually a bit of a tri-state area um, because you have you have Wisconsin and you have Illinois, um, both right across the Mississippi River from the city of Dubuque. So you have kind of a choice of where you want to go. Um, so let's start with Dubuque. Let me tell you a little bit about Dubuque, Iowa. The population, 59,667. That's the 11th largest city in Iowa. It's been growing fast recently. Like a lot of cities, it had a manufacturing background. And then as that died down, it, it kind of diversified. Duluth is a little bit larger. It's 86,697. It's Minnesota's fifth largest city. Um, Dubuque is named after 
a Quebecois explorer, Julien Dubuque. Um, he uh, lived from 1762 to 1810. He arrived in the in the Dubuque area around 1785. It wasn't called Dubuque at the time. That came after after um, he had been there, and the local Meskwaki uh, tribe had been there for some time. Of course, there were people there, and Julian Dubuque uh, received uh, permission to begin mining the lead deposits of of the area. Duluth also has a, a rich history in mining. Um, it was named after uh, a man named Daniel Graysalon, Sieur de Lutte. He was the first European explorer. Again, there, there were people there already, of course, as there so often is. Um, Sieur de Lutte, the end of his rather long name, became Duluth for the purposes of uh, convenience. In much the same way, I'm, I'm from the Seattle area, and of course, the uh, Seattle uh, was named after Chief Sailth, and uh, even Chief Sailth, there, there's like a Sealth High School in Seattle. Even that name uh, is not quite accurate to how the um, the original Chief Sailth uh, pronounced the name, but that's the best I can do. Um, in Duluth, uh, there was uh, kind of a famous uh, speech given in Duluth. Um, he, uh, it was in 1871 by U.S. Representative J. Proctor Knott of Kentucky, and he was opposing the St. Croix and Superior Land Grant, um, and he was he was making fun of all the wild claims about how great the West is. He didn't think it was worth it to go out there. Um, and it was a, a sort of over-the-top, satirical, uh, fantastically florid speech. Um, it's regarded as a, a classic in humor. And in fact, the city of Proctor, Minnesota, nearby Duluth, was named after J. Proctor Knott of Kentucky. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool to be named after some satire. Uh, Duluth, Georgia, was actually named uh, after Knott's speech. So named after Duluth, Minnesota, um, in response to J. Proctor Knott's speech. Um Duluth has sometimes been characterized as, and this was credited to Knott, but it wasn't actually uh, from Knott. It had been coined a few years earlier. The Zenith City of the Unsalted Seas. Which is a, just a, a cool expression, really, in general. So they're similar in size. Duluth is bigger. They were both named the 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 first white people to get there um, were of French-speaking areas. Julien Dubuque was um, was Quebecois, 
of course, and and um, the other guy, the Duluth guy, was French. Um, I stayed when I was in Dubuque. I stayed at the Julian Dubuque Hotel, which is a, a beautiful hotel in downtown Dubuque. And um, I believe I was on the fourth floor. I needed to get to my speech, and I was in a hurry. Um, and so I I had them print up the speech. I my printing had gone wrong, and I was I was short on time. So they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll print it for you." So I just had to email my speech to the front desk, and they printed it. They ended up printing it double sided, which is a good way to conserve paper. It wasn't what I was expecting. And they said, oh, I, I'm sorry, did you want it single-sided? And I said, eh, you know, that's fine. Because it was. It was fine. I can adapt to that. The speech went pretty well. The reason I was in a hurry was that I had taken a detour down to Clinton, Iowa, which is um, a ways south of Dubuque. And it's where I spent the summer of 1988 uh, while a college student. I had never been to Iowa. Um, well, no, I had passed through in eighth grade, just briefly, on my way between Nebraska and Kansas. But this was the first, you know, extended set of time. And I, I worked at a summer stock theater doing musicals and comedies and musical comedies uh, on a dry docked riverboat along the Mississippi called the Clinton Showboat. It's still there and they're still doing shows. So I went down there and walked around um, Clinton, and it was nice. It was the summer I was there. They, it, there was a historical drought, terrible drought. So there was a lot of heaviness among the people, uh, and the mood, and the weather. It was kind of a tough time to be there. Uh, I went to the the former hospital uh, and military barracks, the old old set of buildings on the outskirts of town where we had little apartments for all the people in the theater. And, um, and there's nobody living in those buildings now. They, they actually are, are fairly spooky. Grass overgrown, a lot of windows busted out. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with that, with that area. So we had to uh, you know, get from there to the, to the theater every day. Um, speaking of commutes in, in Dubuque, uh, money magazine, um, uh, identified, this was in 2006, identified Dubuque as having the shortest commute time of all U S cities, average commute time of 11.8 minutes. So, you know, it's pretty easy to get around Dubuque. I wouldn't think there'd be a lot of traffic. There are some, something both cities have in common is there's some confusing one-way streets and you have to sort of map out where you're going because everything's sort of on a slope heading down towards the body of water. Um, so as you navigate the slope and you kind of orient yourself to where you are based on where you are on the slope, you have to time out your, your one-way streets a little bit. Um, I've had really nice breakfasts in both Dubuque and Duluth. Uh, I think that's probably not especially um, unique to either city. Let's talk about sports. Duluth, at one point, had a team in the NFL. 
the National Football League. And uh, they were called the Kellys or the Kelly Duluths after the Kelly Duluth Hardware Store who sponsored them. That was from 1923 to 1925. They returned a couple years later as the Eskimos or Ernie Nevers Eskimos. He was their star player from 26 to 27. They then moved to Orange, New Jersey. And there's a little bit of, um, there's a, a movie depiction of the, um, the Kellys or Eskimos in the movie Leatherheads starring George Clooney and Renee Zellweger from 2008. Uh, the big deal, though, with sports in, in Duluth is hockey. The University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldog hockey team is excellent. They often play for national championships. They win national championships. Brett Hull is a former player for the University of Minnesota Duluth, and he, of course, had a, a wonderful uh, professional career. Hockey is also a big deal in Dubuque. Um, not so much on the college level, but on the, the professional level. It's the home to the Dubuque Fighting Saints of the uh, United States Hockey League. They're a Tier 1 Junior A United States Hockey League team. They play at the Mystique Ice Center. Um, so that's notable. So hockey is important in both places. And speaking of movies, they both, um, both cities have, have that movie history. With Dubuque, there aren't a lot of movies based on their sports teams, but um, some movies have been filmed in Dubuque. Fist, or F-I-S-T, a 1978 movie, uh, loosely based on the history of the Teamsters Union. Take This Job and Shove It, a movie based on the Johnny Paycheck song in 1981. And some scenes in um, in Field of Dreams were, were filmed um, in the Dubuque area, mostly in nearby Dyersville. Uh, Duluth, I'm sure some movies were filmed there. I don't have that information in front of me. But um, there are some movie stars from Duluth. Jessica Lang, uh, Maria Bamford, friend of mine, friend of the show, wonderful comedian. And also Lorenzo Music is from Duluth. He um, was, of course, the voice of Garfield in Garfield cartoons and of Carlton, your doorman, on the show Rhoda. So... Um, so yeah, they've they've got some claims to fame, claims to fame, um, and uh, Dubuque was the uh, birthplace of Don Amici, wonderful old time movie star. You may you may remember him from the movie Cocoon. He was the guy who was not Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley famously was in his I believe late forties when he made Cocoon. But he just looked very old. Don Amici, legitimately old uh, at the time, gave a wonderful performance. Jessica Tandy is in that movie, too. And, of course, Brian Dennehy um, was in Cocoon. So I, I guess, for me, Duluth and Dubuque, both on the eastern 
edges of their respective states next to bodies of water. And um, I gave speeches there, and people were very nice in, in both places. Um, I, um, I've, I've spent more time in Duluth. I've been up there a few times. I went to an, uh, an air show up there to see a bunch of airplanes with my son many years ago. Uh, I did just a random day trip up there with my daughter because it's only a few hours away from, from St. Paul. We just went up and explored Duluth for a day. I think it was during early COVID and we just wanted to get out of the house. And, um, and then uh, Dubuque, I, I really want to spend more time there. I had a lovely time there and, um, and I let everybody know it. So it's, um, you know, both, both, both places really are, are pretty wonderful. Um, so that's it. That's it for me. Longtime friend of the show and uh, non-depressed person, comedian Josh Gondelman is with us. Hello, Josh. Hi, John. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, and uh, I understand that you have some some very uh, soothing thoughts for us. I do. I'd like to walk you through my dog Busy's daily schedule, which is very relaxed. Uh, and she's she she's a pug on the elderly side, as I she's recall. She's a pug. She's about 14 and a half. So her day is mostly naps punctuated by snacks. Um, so I'm going to just kind of walk you through a day in the life of an elderly pug. So she gets up pretty early, which seems like we're off to an energetic start, but that's going to be a red herring. What happens is Busy wakes up around 6.30 or 7.00. She goes outside for for a little walk, um, you know, to do to do bathroom things uh, in the neighborhood. That's a, some, usually between 6.30 and 7.30. Then she comes in. She gets two little pieces of um, cold cut turkey, just about the size of a quarter or a silver dollar. In one of them, we wrap up her morning gabapentin for her anxiety. Um we give her that gabapentin. It's very soothing, keeps her very relaxed for the rest of the day. At that point, um, she gets lifted, airlifted, let's say, onto a couch where she naps contentedly for the next three to four hours, depending on how active my wife Maris and I are around the apartment. If we're bustling, maybe she'll want to come down and investigate. Uh, but if she's not if she's not um you know if we're if we're sitting and doing work kind of more stationarily she will nap happily from 7 30 to 10 30 or 11 at that point she becomes aware probably through the, just the force of routine that the barber shop down the street is open now that's important because they keep a stash of dog treats behind the counter so at uh, 10.30, sometime between 10.30 and 11.30, she will wake up um, from her nap, kind of grunt a little bit, at which point she is lifted off the couch back to the, the floor. She is dressed to go outside. We walk one long New York City block to the barber shop, where she comes in and is uh, given a half of a dog biscuit because a whole one, she doesn't have very many teeth. A whole one is a little too much for her tiny mouth and even her very strong gums to contend with. So she kind of gums up this treat. Um, 
they keep the floor very clean of hair. So if she spills some crumbs, she laps him back up and doesn't swallow too much human hair. Uh, we then take, we then uh, head back home. That's our kind of late morning, early afternoon walk. She is given a fish oil supplement for some nebulous elderly dog concern that she has. She's given, and then she's given a a calming chewy like a the chewable bone and she works on that for probably 10 15 minutes and then sleeps either back on the couch or her dog bed which is next to the front door that nap lasts until about 3 30 or 4 so at this point it's like another three four hours and excuse me she rests usually in her dog bed and then will wake up sometime between 12 30 and 2 for lunch of wet food um she eats lunch She's given a piece of turkey as a reward for eating lunch, a little turkey dessert, kind of a savory European style thing. Then she, um, then she naps on the couch till about, uh, three or four 30. And then she goes back to the barbershop, which they know to expect her a second time. They all know her. She's kind of a celebrity at this one barbershop and all the, the barbers and receptionists know her well. So they're ready for her to come in for an afternoon snack. When you say you get her dressed to go down to the barbershop, what exactly is she wearing? When she gets dressed up for the barbershop, she's got a variety of outfits. Because she's a pug, she doesn't wear a regular collar because it's too hard, stressful on the neck and head. She, her, she, her neck is kind of the same width as her head, so she can kind of slip out of it. So she has a little harness, a little bright red harness that she wears, very fashionable. If it's raining, she's got a little raincoat with ducks on it. And then if it's just cold, she's got kind of a um, a cute little winter parka. Uh, it has like a kind of multicolored stripes, like the marine layer look, like that's the kind of that brand. Uh, it's not that brand, but it looks like it might be. Um, so that's kind of her outfit for going outside. Um, you're supposed to put booties when it snows and they put down rock salt, little booties, but she rejects anything over her paws or anything that covers her eyes. So that kind of hampers, uh, you know, and at her age, she's not learning new tricks, as they say. Sure. So she gets her afternoon gets her afternoon treat. treat. Comes back, does another two three hours of napping before dinner. She eats dinner sometimes some veggies before dinner. If I'm cooking, she'll start agitating for some for some snacks at about five thirty. So she'll get some cucumber slices or some carrots, uh, baby carrots that I kind of like, chomp chomp chomp, and then mama bird into her bowl um i could cut it with a knife but why waste a knife um why have to clean it so she eats dinner at 6 30 another slice of reward turkey also when she comes in from every walk she gets the two little silver dollars of turkey a reward turkey after dinner then uh at about nine o'clock she goes out just for a regular walk two slices of turkey then a little relaxation at that point my wife usually goes to bed um uh, I will watch some basketball on television with Busy. Then at about 10.30, 10, between 10 and 11, she gets up for her night walk, um, which usually we go past the bar that's across the street from us. People are very delighted to see her if they're outside smoking or, or if they're drinking at an outdoor table. She's a real star, a real hit with the bar crowd. We come back home. She gets her probiotic. She gets half of a a different supplement. It's a little disc that I snap in half on the counter and then wipe the kind of powdery residue back into the canister from the snap in half. 
She gets her greenie, which is for tooth health, which mostly is just a treat at that point. Dogs really like them, I think. But she doesn't have that many teeth to keep healthy. But she still loves gnawing on it with her her firm little gums. Then she eats a late dinner, you know, kind of, a, again, you're very European schedule, very continental, kind of a, a Spanish-style late evening dinner at around 1030. A little piece of reward turkey gets plopped into bed with me and my wife, where she will sometimes be a little restless a little bit kind of pacing in circles around the bed looking for some head scratches maybe some belly rubs before ultimately settling down and lately she's been sleeping from about 11 to 7 and that is her schedule it's probably um a total of 35 minutes of walks plus uh eight hours of sleep plus another plus another half an hour of eating which leaves us about 15 hours for napping. And I think it works really well for her. I just thought you would find that schedule very soothing to hear about. Yeah. I thought it would be like a very calming just to know the that a life of maximum relaxation is possible and my dog has achieved it. It's it's a full schedule of things being very easy it's, and soothing. I would call it a yeah, an existence of rigorously regimented relaxation. <laughs> triple r r and r and r she adds an extra r for more r do you think that and i know that you adopted her later in her life do you think that busy was applied to her when she was a very energetic puppy no we changed her name her original name yeah her original name is too close to a family member's name so we changed it yeah we changed was it ironic in the decision to call her busy it was a little ironic but also she had kind of like a a, a more she's very anxious when we take her new places so she has kind of a franticness and which is what her personality was a little bit more regularly when she moved in with us now she feels very relaxed she's used to the sounds of our apartment building she's used to the sights of the squirrels out our back window so every she's much more it is much more of an ironic name now but also she had kind of a beatboxing quality like the great bismarcky the late great bismarcky oh, sure yeah uh, when she would get um stressed out and she had the same personality as when I used to teach preschool. I, I taught my favorite, one of my favorite kids, I shouldn't say favorite, one of my favorite kids I ever taught was very young. And she had kind of like very, uh, her, she, her, her gross motor skills are still kind of developing. So she, I would call her busy and she would run into walls all the time. She would pour, you know, at lunch, we would try to encourage the kids to pour milk and water into their little Dixie cups out of a pitcher. And truly every day at lunch she would spill an entire pitcher of water so that when we got our dog busy she had kind of that personality but now it is like um constant lethargy punctuated by occasional anxiety and i'm like yeah that's kind of an aspirational lifestyle to me that's yeah when i was when i was young we had a dog named peppy Mm -hmm. who was actually older than me oh that's so funny uh, so by the time, you know, I was like nine or 10 years old, Peppy was very old, very lethargic, very slow. And it really warped my understanding of the term Peppy yep. for quite some time because I associated it that way. And, uh, you know, named, I believe, when she was a puppy. So it added up at the time. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Dogs. Dogs are good. Yeah. And, oh, final question. Is Busy a very good girl? She's such a good girl. Even when she's kind of a bad girl, she's a very good girl. Josh Gondelman, thank you so much. 
Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. Janet Varney is with us. Janet, hello. John Moe, how are you? I'm fine. Um, wondering, uh, wondering if you can tell us about uh, something uh, from your life. I would be happy to do that. I was thinking maybe I would talk a little bit about a road trip or two that I took with my dad as a younger kiddo, um, my dad writes books about ghost towns and mining camps and, you know, old train tracks that have been converted into trails and stuff. So when I was little and he was really working on those books, um, I would go with him to, you know, New Mexico, all through Arizona, Colorado, um, Oregon, Northern California, Southern California, just, you know, hopping in that Dotson King cab uh, with a shell top in case anybody needed to sleep. This was a, a pickup truck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a Dotson that had the two little fold-down seats right behind the driver's seat and passenger seat, very, very small little squares that okay. would flip down. And I would say I defy any adult to be able to squeeze in there, but definitely works for a child or two children if if I ever needed a ride and had a friend with me. What color was the truck? It was blue, like kind of a metallic blue. Okay. Basic metallic car blue whatever someone is thinking of i think they're probably thinking of the right color okay so um so one of these trips begins you're at you're at your house in the the phoenix area correct tucson my friend tucson, tucson. excuse me which is how many miles from phoenix is that i think it's like a hundred miles okay just mostly a difference in attitude you'll see a lot more cacti, a lot more drought-resistant, responsible, um, Mexican culture celebratory stuff in Tucson. I'm sure anybody who is listening to this who's from Phoenix, their, your blood pressure is getting up. That's not what this is for. So I want mm, you to right. take a deep breath and know that I love all of Arizona. Sure. I cherish all of Arizona. It's a lighthearted rib at a different city where I also have many people I love, and there are many beautiful things to see in that area. And so, yeah, we would, um, you know, one trip that we took that was really extraordinary was a trip to Glacier National Park. And mm. one of the ways you can get there. Should you have friends in the Denver area, which we did, um, would be to drive up through Arizona into northern Arizona and then across the Four Corners and through this really beautiful, you know, painted desert, very red, very still, mostly no plants, uh, thunderstorms. Sand kind of blowing through in that very hypnotic way across the road, almost the way snow does. And 
if you do it at the right time of year, you are driving through the red rocks and these just beautiful mesas in the distance. And then this is in Colorado. This would be in this would be in like northern Arizona into New Mexico and then up into the mountains of Colorado. And you could see a sandstorm and a snowstorm in the same day if you're if you're making that trip at the right time of year. There might be snow on the ground in Denver. And then you wind your way through some of I, I think it's probably some of the Rockies. Well, you're you're going up. It looks like Interstate 25. That sounds uh, right. So you go. You would take uh, Interstate 10 from Tucson uh, towards Las Cruces, but you turn off probably at Deming. Oh, and, could be. And then uh, up through Albuquerque and Santa Fe. I feel like we cut over higher up in Arizona for some reason. Oh, really? I feel okay. like we went through Flagstaff. I feel like we oh. maybe went through Flagstaff and cut through going east outside of Flagstaff because then you get okay, into yeah. like Navajo Reservation land. Hopi Reservation, Navajo mm -hmm. Reservation, yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and then... So through Durango, perhaps, southern Colorado. Go. That yeah. sounds very right. I would okay. say definitely Durango. And it's just beautiful landscape. Once you get up into, you know, just above Phoenix, and the Phoenix and Tucson deserts are beautiful, but uh, you don't get as stark a difference of landscape until you're up there in northern Arizona and you start getting into that painted desert when you head east. But from from Denver, maybe you can help me through this part. Uh, I know that we went to Wyoming. Yep, you probably go through Cheyenne. We did go through Cheyenne on twenty five on Interstate twenty five now, and then it jogs a little bit west around Douglas till you get to Casper, and then you're going back north again, uh, a straight shot from from Casper up to Buffalo. and That sounds right. But you got to be careful there because even today, I mean, Wyoming is our least populated state and you got to really make sure that you have, um, that you have gas uh, when you come out of Casper. Plenty of gas because there isn't going to be a station between there and Buffalo. That's true. I mean, the whole trip, so much of it is just this sort of open landscape and i think you really get the sense of the american west in that regard you really feel at least i did i really felt that that sense of discovery or of you know that's very it, it, it can be very magical and and just very soothing you know there's up in wyoming you just start getting into those plains with that long grass that's sort of gray and silver when the wind is blowing in one direction and then green when the wind blows it in the other direction. And right. they're just, you know, it's not amber waves of grain, but it is certainly that same waving sense of almost like watching actual ocean waves yeah. just sort of undulating back and forth almost in this kind of hypnotic way. And it's, it, it, I found it just so meditative 
and lovely. And in the winter, if you're there in the winter, it gets really, um, it can feel like the surface of the moon because oh, there's sure. there's a, all that kind of rocky terrain and, and hills and uh, and the plants are all are all gone at that point. Yeah, and windy too, and windy. 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 So yeah, yeah, you get that, you really do get that kind of abandoned sense. But I mean, I love, I really love that feeling and that, that landscape. And yeah. um, when you get up into Glacier, then, you know, you're just looking at these enormous jagged peaks that mm. are also intimidating uh, in, in uh, not a dissimilar way from the feeling of just being so alone on those roads, like you were saying about needing gas and stuff. And Right. Would you come at it from the, the east side of Glacier, like go up through Great Falls or would you go, would you take Interstate 90 to Missoula and then go up uh, from the west side? Yeah, we definitely did not go to Missoula because I would have loved to gone, to have gone to Missoula. And I know we didn't. So we must have taken it the other way. Great Falls route, yeah. Through Great Falls. Yeah. And so again. So you go through East Glacier. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just remarkable. And again, so lightly populated as you pointed out. Um, and you can, I mean, even in the summer, you can still feel, I mean, you feel that thin air and it's so clean and so thin and you're sort of breathless and you feel, you know, you do sort of feel at the mercy of the climate and the altitude and the, the elements. And then you look over and see you know, like a family of goats who are just gallivanting and prancing in that same environment mm. and just devil may care, you know, live and graceful. And that's a nice reminder of just how physiologically different we are as mammals, like the way we're built, almost like watching the sea otters in the ocean in the Pacific when waves are just crashing around them and the rocks are so jagged and, you know, surfers never go there because they'd be smashed to bits. And then you right. just see this sea otter just bobbing on its back, cracking mm -hmm. at a muscle with its little rock that it otherwise keeps in its armpit. Yeah. And it couldn't look more content and safe and just like, Supposed to be there. Yeah, supposed to be there. Now, would you camp along the way or stay in hotels or just sleep in the back of the truck? For the most part, I would say we would get uh, like a really cheap motel room. Like I feel like Motel 6. I mean, I mm -hmm. feel like I can remember the sign that said like 1995 right. for a room. Um, and we would usually, you know, he would, my dad, I mean, I, my dad was a public school teacher, so these road trips were not um, done in the lap of luxury by any stretch of the imagination. So I think we would we would get a room that has two beds, and at some point, inevitably, my dad would start snoring from the other bed, and I would have to tell him that he was snoring, and, you know, that just was sort of the, that was the downside of not having sure. enough money to have your own room, but... We made it work. Were there, um, 
Did you bring snacks with you in the car? Definitely must have had some snacks. I would say almost certainly there would be a variety of nuts. Mm -hmm. That's a given, you know, whether it's in trail mix form or maybe just a good old-fashioned can of cashews. My dad's definitely a big uh, nut aficionado, one of those people who loves to get the chocolate-covered macadamia nuts every Christmas and, you know, those sort of build tra- you build traditions around what kind of nut you're yeah. going to be partaking of. Uh, at any given time. So I would say definitely nuts. And as far as like what we would stop and eat along the way, you know, every family has their own fast food. I think that they sort of get used to. Mm -hmm. And we were a Burger King family. Oh, okay. What would you get at the Burger King? I would always get a Whopper Jr. with cheese, uh, no onions, um... And if I was lucky, I would talk my dad into getting me, you know, fries and a chocolate shake. Nice. But I don't think there are that many Burger Kings on those stretches of road, you know? I feel like, and then I would say maybe secondarily would be Jack in the Box. And that's just another restaurant that there aren't that many of. So we kind of set ourselves up for failure in road trip terms. Yeah, no, especially in in that part of the, the, the mountain region. You kind of have to to take whatever you can come across there to some extent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny that I don't. Rem- I love food, and I can attach almost no food memories to any of those trips with my dad, which probably tells you a lot about how much it couldn't be about that because there just wasn't anything worth getting excited. Maybe a Dairy Queen. Maybe a Dairy Queen. Yeah. Yeah, occasional Dairy Queen. Did you find that if you were presented with a bowl of mixed nuts as a child, that it was uh, enticing, but also confounding because it involved a lot of sorting and a lot of um, experimentation and decisions and, and things that you thought you would like, but that they just didn't work out at all? Yeah. And I would add to that because I think as a kid, I didn't like any of the nuts except peanuts um i i'm so amazed at how delicious nutella is and how far afield from the actual taste of a hazelnut that shows up in your nut mix i mean that is just a nut that that just doesn't seem like it wants to play ball with any of the other nuts it's a very distinctive taste you know you can understand how the cashew and the almond could live with the peanut but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hazelnuts, that's... How do you feel about them? You know, I, I find that they're not worth the effort in, in much the same way that uh, that I get frustrated with how little payout there is with crab meat after oh, I've gone yeah, that's to all that work. work. It's so much... It's, it's really... You're being assigned a task and uh, instead of really being presented with food. I yeah. found that with the walnut, things change substantially when I figured out a way to crack them without employing a nutcracker by by lining up the seam of the walnut kind of mm-hmm. vertically across your hand and then applying pressure with the other hand just okay. along that seam, it it tends to just pop open pretty easily. That's really 
good to know because I feel like I have had a lot of nutshell shards in the tiny little piece of nut meat that I would actually extract from a walnut. So that's good information. I can't remember the last time I had to crack any nutshell except for like a peanut on purpose if you yeah. wanted a shell peanut. No, most of the time now I, th- I think that the, the shelling is done ahead of time. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the labor isn't as intensive. Did you at the mall when you were growing up, did you have at your mall a store that just sold nuts that was just there for nuts? I I don't think so. I okay. think I think it was, you know, there, and while there are a lot of specialty stores that I can remember, I don't think nuts was one of them, although it would have blended in seamlessly. But there were pecan trees that grew at the condominium uh Really? Area that my mom, mm-hmm, in Tucson, that my mom, where my mom lived. And so, and my grandfather loved seeds and nuts and growing something from a seed. And he loved wandering through those pecan kind of corridors that were uh, surrounding this condominium complex and finding the good ones that hadn't been picked at by the birds too much. With pecans, can you eat them right off the tree or does roasting mm-hmm. have to be involved? No, you can definitely eat them right off the tree. And it's not too bad of a shell. It's okay. a fairly easy shell to crack and and harvest. Yeah, yeah. What, um, what stores at your mall uh, were your go-to stores? Which ones were you most excited about or returned to the most? Well, I, I mean, I don't think there's a young person around who didn't know of a Spencer's Gifts and go into it as oh, much sure. as possible. But, sure. Um, I think I do associate maybe like a Claire's Boutique for some earrings. Mm-hmm. That's definitely where I got my ears pierced. Okay. Um, and then, you know, getting into the kind of hot pretzel business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah, we had... Um... We had an orange Julius that I quite liked. and mm-hmm, We did too, yeah. Yeah. And then um, when I was in high school, when I was starting to get off of the whole let's go hang out at the mall because then there were there were cars to be had. Sure. Um, at my local mall, there opened a little store called Cinnabon. It was the oh, first sure. Cinnabon in the world. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't get that until I had long since left Tucson. You lucky yeah. dog. Well, I mean, I, again, I I wasn't really aware of the impact that the Cinnabon was having. That it would soon be a national sensation. It was just yeah. oh, someone selling cinnamon rolls at the at the mall. Yeah, you really you've cornered the market if you have found a food that smells great when it's being cooked yes. or baked. Yes. That's where the real money is, like the waffle cone industry. Mm-hmm. Seems like it's booming. I don't think anyone craves a waffle cone until they smell the smell of waffle cone and then suddenly it's the most important thing in the world. And it's and it's often it it, it doesn't really uh it, the taste d- doesn't can't really cash the check that the smell has written, I think. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. The smell is better. The smell is better. You're going to fall for Every it time. again, though. Every time. 
Would you ever get a waffle cone when you were traveling in the blue truck with your dad from Tucson to Glacier National Park? I don't remember a lot of waffle cone opportunities at the Dairy Queens. I think that was more... And also, when I think about what my dad would want me to eat in the car... I would say the chances are very high that he would want something that was contained in a dish. Not so and crumbly. So, not yeah. so crumbly. So I would say that the peanut buster parfait was my go-to. Oh, well, that's an excellent Layered, choice. Right? The hot fudge with the peanuts on the bottom. And I think they were the what the, would the peanuts have the red, you know, little skin still uh-huh. on them, which I only have ever had, I think, at Dairy Queen. Yeah. And then that layer of... Vanilla ice cream, layer of fudge, layer of peanuts, layer of ice cream, fudge, peanuts, whipped cream on top. Yep. That's a, that's a delicious treat. Yep. Uh, waving grass across Wyoming, family of mountain goats, occasional bear. Yeah. Sugar coma, following that peanut buster parfait, just dozing off. After the sugar has worn off and turned mm-hmm. me into a bit of a zombie and just watching those waves of of grass back and forth and falling into that kind of liminal space where you start having the you start having the uh feeling that you're neither awake nor asleep, which is one of my favorite feelings. That's the perfect button to this one. Janet Varney, thank you so much. My pleasure. Am I awake right now or am I dreaming or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. Yeah, we're, we're all Great. in eastern Wyoming right now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, John Will. Peter Sagal is the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and a, a friend of the program. And uh, Peter, welcome. Thank you, John. And uh, what would you like to talk to us about today? Well, I thought that I would take this opportunity in which I am encouraged to be boring, to talk to you about one of the boring topics that I'm quite obsessed with that no one ever wants to hear me talking about, which is running. Right. That's when you go out just you and run along a road in silence. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes a path, but mostly roads. Yeah. Yeah. Just running, just going left, right. I could tell you about my shoe problems. Oh, please. Okay. So a number of years ago, um, I was running in New Balances, which I liked because they're made in America. But what happened was I did this uh, 10-mile race, and afterwards I had some real pain on the bottom of my feet. And I was like, well, I probably need a foot insert. So I went to the local running store, and I said, I need a foot insert. And they said, well, let's see you run. And so they put me on a treadmill, and I ran. And they said, okay, the problem is you don't need a foot insert. You need uh, different shoes. So they sold me uh, Brooks Adrenaline. Now, Brooks, of course, is a well-known sporting goods store. And they have these Adrenalines, which are known as stability shoes. And these are the shoes that are very good for keeping your feet from going left or right, as rocking left to right, as you will. And so I bought them, and and it was great. My my foot problems went away, and I stopped having those problems. had other problems, but, you know, that's okay. And I ran for them for 10 years, and then something terrible happened, which is that they changed their design. Because apparently the latest thing in running shoes is they're supposed to be lightweight, like the Nike Flies. I'm sure you know about those. So Brooks started with every iteration of the shoe every year. There's a new model, sort of like cars. They started taking away a lot of the stability. So what happened was, is I started to get another ache. In this case, it was my Achilles tendon. 
And that was really frustrating because I was trying to chain for one of these uh, virtual marathons like a year and a half ago. And I went off my first long run. It was like 15 miles. And then afterwards, my Achilles was so painful that I really couldn't walk. So that was a problem. So I decided I needed new shoes. So I went back to the same running store. And this time, well, they wanted me to try Hoka's because Hoka's are like this, I don't know, I don't know who makes them, but they're like this revolutionary new running shoe that's got like a That's a, a higher, type of shoe or a, a brand type of, of shoe. shoe? It's a brand of shoe. It's a brand of shoe and they're very popular. And the idea is that they've got sort of a much thicker midsole. So you, you strike differently. There's a lot of talk in running about um, midfoot striking, which you're supposed to do as opposed to forefoot striking. Because the thing is, and this is really interesting, the idea, as you may have heard from like books like Born to Run, is that we humans evolved to run, except when we're running, we're not supposed to come down on our heel, right? We were never designed to do that. But because we've been wearing these running shoes that have padding in the heels, we've been coming down, we've been learning to come down on our feet on the heel. And that's bad because that sends shocks up your lower leg that we really weren't designed to have. So instead, what people are encouraging other runners to do is to come down with each step on the midfoot, right? You can kind of imagine that if you sort of pick your foot up and just put it straight down, it lands right in the middle of the foot as opposed to the heel. Anyway, hokas have a lot more um, padding in the midfoot, so they're supposed to encourage that, right? But I thought that the hokas were too... Um, just a little too extreme in terms of their design. So I went in a sort of medium way and I bought these shoes called Cardu, which are a Finnish brand, which I thought were pretty good. They're, they're more stable than my sadly diminished Brooks Adrenalines, but not as stable or as you know direct in terms of guiding your foot as the Hoka's. So I got a Cardu and then, you're never gonna believe this, after uh, a couple of pairs of Cardus, and I guess I use like two or three new pairs of running shoes a year, which can get kind of expensive. Sure. But after about, um, oh, I don't know, like a year and a half of that, they redesigned their shoe. And guess what happened, John? You're never going to guess. They also redesigned it to be lighter oh, and less no. stable. So now I'm having different problems. I got a problem in the front of my left ankle. It's usually my left foot that is more problematic for me. Don't know why. And so now I'm having to consider moving on to yet another brand of shoes. Maybe the Hoka's because maybe, you know, I need that kind of stability. Okay. So so right now you are, what shoes are you running if you go running today? Well, I'm running in the Cardu shoes. Yeah. Because I still, I mean, that's what I got. And I guess I could go back to the old um, Cardus that I have before the redesign. But the problem is I kind of wore them out. And as you, I'm sure you know, when you run a lot, that starts to wear down the, um, both the heels and the interior structure. So it becomes less supportive. So that's when I start to get the pains. What experiences have you had with socks? Well, socks are kind of interesting uh, because one thing that you learn as a runner is you don't want to run. This is kind of ironic. You don't want to run in athletic socks, which we call oh. athletic socks, which are generally cotton socks because you don't want to run in cotton because cotton has a bad habit of absorbing sweat and holding mm. it, right? That's why you also don't run and want to run in cotton shirts or cotton shorts because it just gets, you, you've all had this experience. You want it to you know, wick away soaked. from you. So. You want it to wick. You want it to wick away. And so that's particularly important with your socks because otherwise, Otherwise, the, the, the socks, if they absorb all the moisture from your foot, it, they both get uh, thick and they, 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 get, they, they sort of get between your foot and the shoe and that's when you get blisters. So I tend to buy, um, uh, usually I tend to buy them um, in sort of discount packs and this is kind of important as well. And most people don't think of this because they're just looking sure. for a bargain. You want to get the same color socks. Why is that? You, because there's a tendency to buy, you know, we're all sort of, uh, you know, we're all vulnerable to marketing and flashy colors and you get the little socks with like the lightning bolts or the high colors. But the problem is, is if they're all different color and you lose a sock, what are you going to do? Mm. 
So if you just get all black or all white running socks, you're the same brand. I mean, because there's going to be some patterning on the socks. Then if you lose a sock, there's always going to be another sock you can pair it with because they look the same. So that's really important. And you have to be consistent that over the years. How important is it to to have the same brand and color of socks? So if I have if I have a bunch of blue socks, but one of them fits a little bit differently on my foot than the other one, is that going to create running problems for me? I, well, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't, my personal experience is, is there's not enough structure to socks mm. for it to make a difference. Now it's important that they at least be the same kind of socks. I think if you were wearing like one ankle sock and one calf sock, I think that would just be a, a bother. Yeah. You know, you'd be you'd just be so aware of the fact that one of your calves had a little bit of elastic around like the midline and the other one that was on the ankle. I think that would be distracting. But my experience is, is if the socks are both the same height, both ankle socks, both calf socks, and more or less the same thickness of fabric, you pretty much don't notice. That's a good question though. Thank you. I understand that um, you are an advocate of no headphones when you run I am. and I just am, experiencing yeah. Yeah the world. Yes, that is true. Um, and I think that's true because, uh, well, um, you, you want to, I mean, you have to focus on these things. I mean, your, your midfoot stride, that takes effort, you know, whether you're sort of hunching forward. Another issue you want to be thinking about when you're running and you don't want to be distracted by, you know, interesting podcasts about the news or, or mental illness is uh, you want to be thinking about uh, where your hips are, like this is a very important thing. There's a tendency to, uh, when you run up a hill, and I have this problem, to sort of hunch over and kind of try to drive up it using your quadriceps, which is not really the most efficient way. What you really want to do is you want to try to lean back a little bit, even though you're running up a hill, so it seems counterintuitive. And you want to use your your hips, if you can follow, to to move the leg forward, I'm doing it right now in my chair, to move the leg forward. So you're, you're actuating the moment from each hip. And my experience is if you're listening to an interesting podcast, say a quiz about the week's news or interviews about mental illness among the interesting, then you will um, stop focusing on that and you start hunch. I'm a natural huncher. I kind of hunch, you know, I lean forward, I roll my shoulders forward. And you want to keep, you want to stay upright. I think that's better for mechanics. And you need to be thinking about this stuff. Okay. Okay. So then if you're not listening to something, are you taking a constant inventory of where your muscles are or are you? Yeah. Yeah. You're thinking, you're thinking as seriously as you can about like where your feet are striking. You're thinking about the rhythm of your, of your cadence, right? You don't want to be speeding up. You know, you want to make sure that your cadence is a good balance between uh, the distance of your stride. You know, you don't want to be obviously lunging forward, but at the same time, you don't want to be shuffling. So you want to have a nice, a nice sensible middle, if you will, to your stride and a good cadence because, you know, one of the things, another thing you really have to focus, this is a fascinating aspect, is just the appropriate level of stress on your cardiovascular system, especially your lungs. There's a, there's a well-known um, nostrum that I think has value, which is that you should be able to have a comfortable conversation while you're running. That's of course, you know, long distance running. This isn't training, which of course, you know, short distances, which is different. But if you're like for like a six, seven mile run, you should be able to converse comfortably. If you're, if you can't, then you're putting a little bit too much stress on your uh, pulmonary system, your lungs. And that means you should back off a little bit so as to maintain the appropriate level of cardiovascular stress as you move forward. Well, I, I want to thank you for uh, ushering in the debut of the word nostrum on this podcast. Yes. 
I can't believe I'm the first, given the sophistication of the people you've spoken I, to. I know. We've been around for a year now, so, uh, you know. But no one said Nostrum. Not that, wow. I, not that I recall, no. Um, Peter Sagel, thank you for, for filling us in on the, the minutia of running. And, My um, pleasure. We could have gone with the, the, the bathrooming habits of your very young son, and I, I think it's probably good that we didn't go in that direction. Well, I think we could have. I think it would have been quick because basically he poops and pees in his pants. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. He's 15 months and that's it. We couldn't fill 10 minutes with that. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. You could fill a lot of things, but not 10 minutes. He's not, he's not at that interesting stage, which you as a parent are aware of. I have been through it and aware of where they know something is happening uh -huh. and they're not quite sure what it is, but it's, a, it's definitely grabs their attention. And all of a sudden they have a, a look on their face or they run in the corner. You've seen this and yes. that's really charming, but no, we're not there yet. Not he's there just, yet. All of a sudden it smells and you realize, oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> that that's happened. all it is. Yeah. John Moe, thank you for the good work you do. Jarrett Hill and Travel Anderson are with us from the podcast Fanti. Travel and Jarrett, thank you for being with us. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. This um, is <laughs> um Wondering, uh, wondering what's on your mind, wondering what you'd like to, to talk about today. You know, I, I've had a really tough time, um, with an issue this week that I don't really know what to do about anymore. Um, as a person who wears glasses, my nose what? is really oily and it, my glasses are always like sliding down my nose and... Like I have to be on television, I have to be on camera and like moving the glasses around on my face. It's just, it, it can be really tedious sometimes. And then it makes you look weird when you're on TV and you're fixing your glasses. And you know, you, is it I've, a matter of- I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Do you dab down your nose? Do you try to dry it out with like a, a tissue or something? What's the best solution? You know, oftentimes it's like the nearest available fabric. You know, it's, it's my, my shirt. It's yeah. it's a towel. Uh, I should probably get like an oil blotter situation, but then it's like, which oil blotter do I get? This one's on sale, but that one's higher rated. This one's at Target, but I saw that one at CVS. We trust Target brand, but not Walmart brand. You know how it is. Wow. So it's just, yeah, it's challenging. Travel, you are a glasses wearer yourself. Have you run across this issue of glasses that slide down the nose? Well... My glasses. As they adjust their glasses. <laughs> you literally just adjusted them. My glasses typically start at the bottom of my nose. I'm mm. I'm a very, you know, old soul person. So I love glaring over the glasses. And it's Disapprovingly, just, sure. You know, it's just a lot easier to do so if you just sit it right on the nostril anyway. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't, I don't have the greasy situation that Jared has. Um, yeah. I don't know about that life. Jared, is it a matter of oils, uh, like perhaps something you, you ate or just your natural, what your skin naturally does? Or is it perspiration? Uh, I think from, he's just naturally greasy. From exertion well, or, or um, nerves, perhaps? I, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the oil that comes out of my nose. Okay. That's really what it's about. And it's challenging because 
the glasses that I have are, they're like a matte kind of finish, you know? They're not like a shiny finish, they're a matte finish. But then when you've got the oil coming off your nose onto the matte finish, now they're not really matte anymore. And the people at Warby Parker are probably really disappointed that I'm not giving them the matte look that they intended mm. for the glasses. It's, it really just sends me down kind of like a, a rabbit hole. And I just, you know, what can I do? I, I've been trying a different moisturizer. I'm trying to try a different face wash. It's it's one of the big problems in my life. Well, I want to get to the idea of of how much one's glasses fog up when wearing a mask. Um, oh my god! But I'm also wondering, Jared, we're, we're, this is an audio program that we're making, but we're looking at each other on video. Can you can you show me how the glasses <laughs> affix to your nose and describe? Yeah, it? Do yeah. You, no. Do you have little clear pads Absolutely. or? No, so if you if you look in here, you'll see they're just completely smooth, right? So there's no there's no like pad there to like sit down on my nose. So it, I mean, it makes it easier to clean, but it doesn't make it easier to wear. And you know, again, this is one of the problems that I feel like people aren't talking about in community um, of glasses wearers. It's actually one of the reasons that I feel like I've really made the decision that I'm going to have laser eye surgery. Cause I'm just tired of wearing glasses year after year since I was nine. Like I get it. Like, you know, it's tough. It's tough. I would just like to point out John that, you know, Jared does have a little bit of privilege in this glasses conversation. Oh, okay. Because they don't, Wow. have to wear their glasses they see as you can see they have not put their glasses back on and they're doing okay. just fine meanwhile to be clear, someone such to as be... myself someone such as myself who needs my glasses for you know just to walk you know around my home right so i know what you mean particularly with the glasses and the masks, is my point in bringing that up. Travell, it seems like the frames that you have, and maybe I'll, I can have you describe exactly how they hang on your nose, but it seems to be um, a wider lens that naturally goes further down below your eyes and maybe has a, a natural sense of gravity about it. There's more glasses mm. below the nose bridge than there is above it. Mm. Well, you mm -hmm. see, so I, my, my glasses nose situation is similar to Jarrett's um, in terms of, I don't know if you can see that there. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. So it, but it the, bulges the, out a little you, bit, but there isn't a just lot a of tiny bit. specified equipment. There's not. Um, but as you mentioned, the frames themselves, they're bigger, they're, they're more square. Um, um, I think it's like round, they're, they're rounded edges, but they're square. Right. Um, and for me, I got it so that the bottom part of the frame would rest on my cheeks. That way it does not slide either even further down, like off my face. Right. It just it, it goes to the point at which it hits the cheek and then it just sits there. Oh, OK. Right. You know, John, I uh, I think we need to talk about rice. Rice. And rice it's 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 yeah i mean obviously white rice right? i feel like that's kind of a a natural follow-up to what we're talking about <laughs> because really if you think about eyeglasses is there anything else that is quite like them the way that rice is i mean they're both essentials for a lot of people right they are 
Uh-huh. They come in various different colors, right? And they're both very difficult to make without a rice cooker. And I know for myself, I have a challenging time making rice without a rice cooker. Like cooking it on the stovetop is so challenging. Um, it's always a proportions to heat thing. It's like I bought a rice cooker. I have glasses. It's it's. There's a lot of privilege in this conversation, and I do want to acknowledge that, Travel. Wow. But I go ahead, John. What well, I was gonna say, Travel. What's your preferred method of cooking rice? Oh, I'm an old school rice cooker, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. We don't do that rice mm-hmm. cooker stuff. Because, you do the French you know, press, right? <laughs> I um, I wash my rice just like everyone else. You should be washing your rice, people, if you're not. It's a simple two-to-one ratio, Jared, on the stove. Um, and you you can set it in. Don't forget it now, okay? You might come back to a burnt house. But you can just set it in, and, and it'll do mm. what it'll do. You don't have to mm-hmm. do everything. So I'm an old school rice cooker, John, but I do not know how Jared went from glasses to rice. I'm still befuddled. I mean, I think personally. the connection is the connection's pretty clear. I don't oh. I don't really see how you could miss it. But Oh, okay. Jared, do you do you cook then you so you own a rice cooker, but you use the pot on the stove? Well, so that's the interesting thing, right? So I have what's called an instant pot. Is everyone familiar with the instant pot? Yeah, mm-hmm. Instapot. Right. I it does it's sometimes mo- called also. The, yeah, Instapot. It's it's technically instant pot, um, <laughs> but oh, thanks for explaining that. Hey, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it happens to the best of us. Um, so I I use the instant pot for cooking rice if I'm going to be making multiple servings of rice, you know. But sometimes. Mm. If I'm doing like a HelloFresh or something that has like a smaller serving, I'll just make it on the stovetop because it, it's not quite enough to put into the instant pot. And so it's, it's it, you know, it just kind of depends on the night. Mm. But John, I'm actually curious about you. Are you like a rice with butter, rice with salt, rice with sugar, plain rice? Rice with sugar? You... Rice with sugar. That, that. That's foreign to me. I... I... Um, would get so intimidated by the rice pot on the stove and mm. the orders to not stir it and then the mm-hmm. sort of counter uh, orders to just treat it like little tiny pastas and go ahead and cook it like you would spaghetti um, that I I got a I got a rice cooker and I like to do it that way or at Trader Joe's, they sell the little uh, plastic baggies of rice that you put in the microwave for precisely mm. three minutes, and then you've got your rice ready to go. Oh, yeah. Available I in mean, basmati or brown rice. Okay, because I do enjoy a basmati. Um, and I've recently heard that brown rice is actually not as healthy as they said it was. But I feel like three years ago, we heard the opposite and it's like well it tastes what like are they cardboard say next anyway. about rice well i mean it depends on if you're putting butter or sugar or or still salt cardboard it. then it just takes like uh, cardboard with butter on it or cardboard <laughs> with salt on it like do you, you know. find that if you're cooking rice and wearing your glasses that they start to fog up and or slide down your nose mm. i mean this kind of brings it back to the mask and the fogging up kind of conversation right well, exactly like once, yeah 
and and to this no sliding situation because if i'm cooking and there's like all the steam and the heat coming from the oven i'm probably going to start sweating because i'm a sweater and now my nose is even more slick with the now you know shiny not matte glasses anymore and you know it's we're right back where we started so I'm, I'm glad that you were able to make the connection between the rice and the glasses and understand how how we got yeah there. yeah mm. well you know there, there's so yeah. many daily struggles that uh that, that go into both uh vision and cooking four thousand of something that uh, i mean absolutely absolutely i mean and then you bring in race and gender and it just completely <laughs> complicates it all it just really does. Did you say race and gender or rice and gender? Mm. No, I said I said rice is tender. Okay, it, it's almost it's almost the same. Um, rice is tender is um, it's an event that Tinder does uh, on the uh, dating app. Okay. Oh wow. I, as wow. I understand it, it's rice and gender, the San Francisco treat. But I could be wrong right. about that. Well, yeah. mm. well, right. Well, they they they've changed it um, to the San Francisco Street. You see, because I can't. Rice is tender is now a, a boulevard. So right, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Accuracy is so as a important. person from the Bay Area. Um, as a person from the Bay Area, I have to represent for our uh, the mm-hmm. the nomenclature of the San Francisco streets. We appreciate you for that. And Carl Malden and Michael Douglas were so great in that one, too. Oh, man. And Carl Lewis. And Carl Lewis. Michael Jackson. Yeah, Buster (laughs) Douglas. And, uh, yeah. Travell Anderson, Jared Hill, thank you so much. Hey, hey. I mean, we could stick around longer. I don't have anything else to do. (laughs) I think everybody's asleep now, so we'll just tuck them in and wish them the best. And with us right now is is Lisa Hanawalt, uh, who you know from from television and from podcasting. And um, Lisa, hello. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. I understand that in your life there's a, a, a horse and some things that must be done with this horse. Yes, things must be done with her. Um, and I, I go do these things almost every day. I'd say at least five times a week uh, when I'm in town. And um, yeah, I usually start by just getting in my car and driving to the barn where she lives because I have to rent her her own house. How far away is the is the barn from where you live? You know, it's about, uh, about 20 minutes roughly, depending on traffic. Um, and if I take the freeway, I can get there faster, but I almost, almost always... Uh, take the slow way through the park because it's more pleasant. Mm, yeah, there's, um, you could. Are is it all uh, sort of pastoral, or do you go through business districts? I go through some residential districts, and I also I pass a golf course, and I pass some like picnic areas in the park, um, and I like to observe the seasonal changes in the park as I drive through it. And it's just a, a nice, peaceful time to think of ideas and listen to music. And I imagine that uh, there's some changing of, of the leaves. Are there deciduous trees so that leaves change in the seasons? You know, it is in Los Angeles, so there's not um, a ton of seasonal change. But okay. in, in the 
late fall, early winter, I would say there is some leaf drop it, droppage and uh, brown browning of leaves. Okay. okay. <laughs> So, okay, so you've driven about 20 minutes and, and you've arrived at the barn. What happens then? So then I walk to my horse's stall. Her name is Juniper. And I, I always greet her. I say, Juni. And then she sometimes acknowledges me with a friendly knicker. And sometimes she ignores me completely because she's busy uh, looking for food or hanging out with her neighbors. Um, she's got one older neighbor on one side named Cowboy. Uh and then she has another neighbor on the other side who's a mare who kind of hates her, kind of loves her. It's a it's a contentious relationship. Sounds complicated. It is, yeah. With mares, it can be. Um, and then I, you know, go into her stall and I usually give her a scratch on the shoulders. That's where she likes it best. Or on her neck. And I pet her. How can you tell what a what a horse likes? She, like, makes these, like, funny facial expressions when I find a good spot. Like, you know how when you scratch a dog and they start to go, like, ooh, and they kind of yeah. kick their leg? Like, she Twist basically... around, yeah. Yeah, she does the horse version of that. Um, okay. And sometimes, occasionally, she will even reach around and start to groom me in, um, you know, as a sort of reciprocal thing. Uh, how does she, that work? What? How does a horse groom a person? She kind of uses her her mouth and like nuzzles it up against my back or butt, but then I I don't. She usually gets too into it and starts to bite me. So I, uh, <laughs> mm, yeah, she's a little enthusiastic. Um, you have to establish boundaries. Yeah, always. She's a bit bit pushy. She kind of thinks she's a lap dog, but instead she's a nine hundred pound uh, farm animal. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then I go to my locker, which is in her stall, and I open open that up, and I put on some gloves because I want to protect my nails uh, from all the grime. And uh, then I get out some of our grooming equipment. I get out a brush uh, and start brushing her. Just to... is this is this the kind of brush that we might see like a hairbrush for a person, or is it a different shape of brush? It's a horse brush, so it's kind of like a wooden thing with these like bristles sticking out of it that are a little bit okay. stiff. Um, and I kind of use that to get the dirt and bedding off of her. And I kind of just groom her quickly to just kind of check her over and see if there's any cuts or bruises or anything I should be aware of. Oh. Um, yeah. so sometimes she gets like a nasty bug bite that I would like to know about and make sure it's not infected, you know, that kind of thing. So the brush, the brush is sort of the a preliminary, like removing major obstacles, removing major contaminants, kind of. Yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Like if I'm gonna ride her, I don't want to get like a big piece of her bedding like stuck under the saddle because it could rub and and hurt her. And you know, it's kind of just checking her over. Yeah. Um, horses are very good at injuring themselves, so I always want to see if she's doing okay. Uh, and then I check her feet. So I have a little hoof pick and I lift up her feet one at a time and clean out her hooves. Uh, make sure there's no rocks stuck in there or anything else that could impede her movement. And would she have accumulated these things out in a uh, a pasture of some kind where she spends her days? She doesn't go to pasture. Uh, you know, in L.A., it's a little hard to find that much space. Um, sure. She yeah. spends most of her time in a, a stall. Um it's about 12 by 24 feet, I would say. Um, but sometimes she gets like a stick or something stuck in there and it could wedge in deeper if I don't get it out. So 
Uh, I just like to check and see how our feet are doing. Like the feet are a very important part of the horse because they carry so much weight. Uh, you know, you want to keep them healthy. And she doesn't wear shoes. A lot of horses wear shoes, but she doesn't because her hooves are really strong. So she doesn't need them yet. Um, but I do need to get them trimmed by a blacksmith uh, every six weeks. Oh, how, how old does a horse have to be to, to wear horse shoes? It depends. Some of them need them almost right away. Uh, and Junie is turning 15 this year and she's never needed them. Um, so it just depends like what you're correcting for or if their hooves aren't strong enough and you want to bolster them. Uh, but yeah, she was kind of born with really strong, tough hooves. She's like sort of a hardy uh, pony breed from Norway. So she's kind of built for for hard weather and <laughs> rocks and yeah. yes, she's okay. a bit, she's, she's a rugged. Okay. <laughs> how, uh, how, so she's 15 years old. How long can a horse like that expect to live? You know, hopefully she'll live into her thirties. Um, okay. if she's healthy, she could easily live that long. It depends on the breed and, and their overall health. But, um, again, her breed tends to do well, um, and age well. So yeah, she's in her prime, I'd say. Okay. So you've, you've gone over, uh, Juniper with the brush and you've checked her feet with the, uh, the pick, the yes. pick. What comes next in the process? You know, if I'm not in a hurry, I will brush her mane and tail. Uh, she actually has a short mane, so I don't need to brush that, but I'll brush her forelock, you know, the part that hangs over her forehead and I'll brush, brush her tail. And I have this, uh, stuff I squirt on there. That's kind of like a detangler. Um, but also it makes it, her hair look shiny. So I like that um, product as, as a stylist might call it. Exactly. I have a few styling products for her. Uh, <laughs> she is a lady, you know, yeah, sure. I like, like her to look her best. Um, and, uh, you know, then when I'm done with that, then, you know, sometimes I'll feed her a cookie. Uh, she's got little horse cookies that are peppermint flavored and I'll give her one. She's been good. What other kinds of flavors are horse cookies available in? Usually like molasses, apple, carrot, uh, peanut butter, maybe. I don't actually maybe not that one. Maybe okay. I, uh, you know, it it kind of sticks to that general horsey food area of flavors. Yeah. So it wouldn't be like like chocolate or or you know, things that uh, or chocolate chip, the things that people eat in cookies. No, weirdly people are are one of the few animals that can actually eat and tolerate chocolate. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I can barely tolerate it myself, but I still eat it every day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so then, so then Juniper has had her, her mint cookie. <laughs> yes. Uh, and now if I want to go for a ride, I'll start tacking her up. So I'll get out a saddle pad and put that oh. on her. Uh, I make a decision at this point, whether I want to ride bareback on a bareback pad. So that's a sort of a pad with no stirrups. Um, and it's a little harder to grip onto her, but it's, it's very comfy and casual. Mm -hmm. Um, or I'll put on a full, you know, leather saddle that I have. Um, if, if you're going to ride the horse bareback with, with just the blanket, how does the blanket stay on the horse? It's got a, it does fasten underneath her the same way oh, okay. a saddle would with a right. girth, but, um, but yeah, it's just less secure. So if if she's up to shenanigans out yeah. there, then it's a little harder to stay on. And oftentimes I will choose the bareback pad. And then when I'm out there, I'm like, uh-oh, I should have gone with the saddle. She's feeling spicy today. Um, yeah. But I have not fallen off her yet. Knock on wood. So we've been lucky. <laughs> um, I did ride her bareback the other day and she 
uh, really held it together for a scary tent we walked by. So that was nice. But then she kind of lost it at a bicycle. Um, and I had to calm her down. Why, why did a bicycle make the horse nervous? I don't know. She just thought it was a monster. Uh, a, a man was kind of carrying it down from the river and it oh. just, she was already feeling anxious that day. I could tell when I took her out. So she was kind of being set off by things more than usual. I, my dog does that. I have a dog that gets very nervous when anybody is on, like the kids in the neighborhood are on bicycles, on scooters, um, because I, I think that she thinks it's just some sort of larger other animal that uh, that poses a threat. Yeah, I think animals are very frightened by unique uh, silhouettes of things. So people care, like a person's fine, but then if a person's carrying an object, that's scary. Um, yeah, a lot right. of animals kind of don't like that. They can't really generalize and think that's just a person. Um, yeah, yeah. My my the same dog. She's gotten better because she's five now. But but uh, she also didn't like people in wheelchairs, which yeah. is a very awkward situation. Yes, animals can be very ableist in that ableist. way, and, yeah, and very judgmental. Um, yes, this is true. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but, we, but we love them. Um, we yeah, we have to. So um, so so you let's say you take Juniper out for a ride. Yes. Where do you where do you ride her? Uh, I ride around the neighborhood she's in. We live in she lives in Burbank, and so I ride around that district. Um, I often ride across a bridge that's nearby and under some tunnels under the freeway to get to Griffith Park, um, where there's some beautiful trails. So you just go down the sidewalk in Burbank with a horse? Yeah, you can. Um, the whole. That whole neighborhood in the rancho is zoned for horses. So okay. um, even if you want to cross the street, they have uh, they have like buttons to switch the lights uh, up high so you can press them from horseback. Oh, do you ever see um, other celebrities and their horses when you're out? <laughs> Um, yes, there are definitely a few uh, actors and people in the entertainment industry who ride around there. Yeah, not not too many, but but definitely. Any names we might recognize? <laughs> well, I do. Um, there are some like horse rental places oh. where you can rent horses and go into the park. And I know that Justin Bieber once rode at this rental place. Nearby. Oh, okay. So that's oh. exciting. Rented a, Justin Bieber rented a horse. Yeah, he looked real silly up there. I gotta say. Yeah, I, I I would think that if you don't have a lot of confidence, if you're if you're inexperienced, you're not going to look great. On, yes, on which which normally, you know, I don't look great either. I'm not a very good rider. I'm an amateur. You know, I'm not going to make fun of anyone who's just getting into it for the first time. I'm not going to gatekeep, but I will make fun of Justin Bieber specifically. It seems like it would create uh, an awkward uh, paparazzi opportunity uh, in his case. Yes, and I, I believe it did. The paparazzi okay. oh. did, did see him. That's probably why we all know about it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you go out to Griffith Park with your horse, with Juniper, and uh, and ride around for a while? Yeah, I, I do. There's a couple different trails I do, depending on how long I want to be out there. You know, we usually get tired after an hour or so. We're not super, like, endurance riders. Um, but, yeah, there's a couple loops I like to do, and I, I see wildlife a lot. Like, I see a lot of coyotes. Um, I saw a bobcat once. Um, I've seen quail. I'm... I'm glad I have not stumbled across a rattlesnake yet, but they are out there. Um, How does Juniper do with those animals? She is very good with them. She is honestly spooked more at other horses than at any other 
animal. She's great with dogs too. Um, yeah, we've ridden right up to coyotes and she, she's alert, you know, she's, she's got an ear out for in case anything gets crazy. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's pretty brave. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so how long do you ride around then in the park? Usually about an hour. Um, and it's, it's nice. I can see the wildflowers blooming. You know, if it's that season, I can see, you know, what different plants are, are in bloom, what, what kind of birds are out and about right now. There's a lot of, uh, new young starlings who are flapping around. Um, yeah. And it's very, it's very peaceful. Oh, good. Okay. So then, so then you've ridden around for a while and the horse has had exercise. And, and then at that point, do you, do you just head back to the barn? Yeah, we head back. Uh, usually she walks a lot faster on the way home because she's excited to go home and eat food. It's kind oh, of okay. her main drive in motivation. Life is, yes. Yeah. Getting food, which I relate to. Um, yeah. We head back and uh, we get back and I start to take off all her tack. And I sometimes I let her out in the arena so she can have a roll. She likes to roll. Uh, she gets really itchy. So that kind of getting all that sand in there kind of helps her get the sweat off. Um, do you then have to brush her again after she rolls in the arena? I do. I, I do the whole thing over again. I brush oh, her. Okay. I, I check her feet again to make sure she didn't get any rocks in her feet up in the hills. Um and then, you know, that's when it, when she really gets a lot of cookies is if she was good and she didn't, you know, do anything crazy out there. She gets rewarded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and so then it, it's, it's just all done, done in reverse. Pretty much. And then I oftentimes just hang out with her for a while. Like sometimes I just let her out loose in the arena and like, sometimes I'll just sit on her, you know, bareback with no tack on, just kind of hanging out with her. Um, yeah. Do you ever bring cookies of your own to eat? at the same time? Um, no, my, I went riding with a friend once who, who brought cookies that she had baked so that we could eat cookies while we rode. And that was nice. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of cookies were those? You know, I don't, I think they were chocolate chip. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like you said, that's not a kind of cookie that a horse would eat. No, just for people. Um, okay. And then, um, and then are you, do you have to then lock up the stable? What kind of security measures are in place for these horses? I just lock up her stall. So um, it's just like it slides shut. And then I put a little clip on it because she's actually very good at escaping from her mm. stall and sliding oh, it open. Yeah. Uh, and she did that a few times. And I found her in nearby stalls eating other people's food. Um Yes. And she's on a special diet, so she cannot eat uh, hay. She has to eat pellets that have been soaked. Um, she cannot eat dry hay. So Why that's not? A, a whole thing. She's got this like kind of pouch in her throat where the hay gets stuck. Um, and then I have to have the vet come out and like clear her out. And one time I had to like call up a trailer and take her to the horse hospital. And it was a whole thing. So now she's on her special diet where she only eats horse soup. Okay. <laughs> eats horse soup. Yeah, she's a she's a real princess. When you are done riding your horse and you return to your own home, is it sort of the same thing of like, you know, you've got to brush yourself off and and uh, make sure there's nothing on your own feet? You know, I think my my partner would love it if I did that, but instead I usually track my muddy boots into ah, the house and okay. I sit I sit around in my horse clothes for hours because I'm lazy. Uh, ideally I, I would kind of take those off outside and 
um, not dirty the house up. But yeah, I imagine your partner knows that you're home even before <laughs> seeing you because of the barn smell. <laughs> it's not that bad, but uh, you know he's aware. Um, but luckily, he doesn't mind too much, and he he loves the barn as well and likes to come with me. So, what what are his favorite kind of cookies? Oh, that's a great question. He's more of a salty snack guy than a oh, okay. sweet. But okay. um, yeah, I don't know actually what his favorite cookies are. All probably right. probably the classic, probably chocolate chip. He likes those. Um, he does like those milk bar cookies that are kind of crazy. Like there's like the one that's corn flavored and. Oh, I'm um, not familiar with those. They're really intense. They're a little too intense for me, but yeah. But it's got the salt that that he likes so much. Yes, they're very salty, sweet, and he likes to stick them in the freezer and then eat them. They're very buttery. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. We'll we'll um, have to have to explore um, your partner's uh, <laughs> snacking habits next time you appear on the show. But, I would uh, love to. <laughs> yeah. Lisa Hanawalt, uh, the, the creator of Tuca and Birdie and the co-host of Baby Geniuses here on Maximum Fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really my pleasure. Jesse Thorne and Jordan Morris are the hosts of Jordan, Jesse, Go. And, um, and they're with us right now. Jordan and Jesse, hello. Hi, John. Hi, John. It's uh, a lot of fun being with you today. Yeah, I like to talk to you, John. It's good to talk to you. We're talking on on the Zoom uh, protocol on the computer, so uh, it's a way that I think people are familiar, but in case they aren't, uh, it's a way that people can have conference calls and see one another Mm -hmm. over distances. Um, So it's kind of, it operates similar to um, Microsoft Teams? It's similar to Microsoft Teams or the Citrix Web Meetings mm-hmm. uh, platform. Um, it's been Skype. compared, yeah. It's been compared a lot to Skype. So if you're familiar with Skype, I'm I'm not. Okay. Well, do you know like do you know you know Zoom? No. Okay. Well, Skype and Zoom are are very similar. Um, We're kind of like a. Is it kind of like? Um, is it kind of like um, Microsoft Teams? It's a little bit like Microsoft Teams. Okay. Um, and so I'm talking to you. I'm in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. You're both in, in California. And um, and are you, are you both from the from Southern California or more from the Northern California? It's a great question, John. Uh, I live in Southern California, Los Angeles, yeah. which is in Southern California. Um, it's funny. A lot of people think anything North of San Luis Obispo is Northern California. Mm -hmm. Um, but people, you go ahead, Jordan. I was going to say that is funny. Yeah. But a lot of people, um, who live in the, the furthest Northern geographic part of California would say that only say north of Sacramento, um, or only the Redding area. Uh, Wairica. That's a, I mean, that's a perfect example of a place everyone agrees is in Northern California, but, um, I'm from, I'm originally from San Francisco, which, you know, if you look at a map is sort of in the middle of California. Um, but we generally call it Northern California. And then later on 
I moved south to Southern California, though though not as far south as where Jordan is from originally. I visited uh, Livermore once. Yeah, that's okay. in Northern California. That's John, the home of the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. Oh, okay. That's in more northern. Is that in the Bay Area then? It's in the southern part of the Bay Area. Southern part of the Bay Area. San Jose region. Yeah, I'd call that the southern part of the Bay Area or the northern part of Silicon Valley. Okay. Go, go Sharks. Yeah. The Sharks are a hockey team in the National Hockey League um, where they play other hockey teams. Jordan, are you from? I've uh, never heard of it. Okay. Um, uh, let me just a message to my producer. Gabe, can we uh, send Jordan some information on the National Hockey League? Go Sharks. Um, Jordan, where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in, um, what's this? This is funny. I was, I was born in Beaumont, Texas. Oh. Um, but I only lived there till I was like three. So okay. sorry, Jordan. Uh, that is funny. Thanks, Jesse. Um, so, you know, I think I, I tell people that I grew up in Orange County, but I was not born in Orange County, but, um, Right. Yeah. In um, but I lived for you know most of my childhood until I went to college in uh, an area called Mission Viejo. Oh, and that's Orange County. It's Orange County, Florida. Okay, uh, and it's actually Orange County, California. It's, this is something else that's kind of funny. Um, in in Orange County, there's a you know the county is called Orange County, but there's a city called Orange. Mm. The city of Orange. The city of, the city Orange, of Orange. Yeah. So a lot of city city of, there's a lot of great antique stores there. How many? It does have a nice old town. Do you um, know how many antique John, stores? There's, the antique stores are in the old town. Yeah. Oh, the old town part of the city of Orange? Yeah. Okay. There's both malls and stores, I would say. Okay. For antiques. Um, it's maybe a half dozen. A half dozen yeah, antique stores. Right. Okay. Go Sharks. Jesse, have you spent much time in um, Orange, the city of Orange in Orange County? That's a great question, John, and a funny story about that. I did go down there once. Um, I had heard that there were a lot of antique stores there mm. um, and some vintage stores as well. You're fond of antique stores and vintage stores. It's one of my great passions. And so I went down there to the city of Orange, which is, as Jordan said, in Orange County. And, um, you know, I drove to the old town area, which is where the stores are. Yeah. That's what I've heard. And I took a good look around. I, I, um, visited some standalone stores. I visited some malls, which is, you know, group stores, uh, mm. stores where various dealers each have their own area. So this is important. This isn't a mall like people would think of with, uh, a Cinnabon and an anchor store like a Sears. This is an antique mall where various antique vendors uh, share a space, correct? I would love it if there were a Cinnabon, but it's just antiques there. Do you think someone might be selling like an antique Cinnabon? They could probably sell a Cinnabon-related antique. Mm -hmm. I was speaking probably. with... 
Janet Varney for this episode. And um, I was explaining to her how in my hometown of Federal Way, Washington, just south of Seattle, uh, is the, I don't know what it's called now, but it was the SeaTac Mall when I was there, about halfway between Seattle and Tacoma. And um, far from SeaTac Airport, oddly enough. But it was the home of the first Cinnabon was, was at that mall. I didn't really think much of it when they built it in 1986. And um, what Janet pointed out is perhaps uh, smell is had been under-recognized as a marketing feature until that point, where if you, if you smell the Cinnabon, you're more likely to go in there. And the more powerful the smell is, right. the better marketing effort you'll see. Wetzel's pretzels. Wetzel's pretzels. Mm. Yeah. Limited, so, limited two. Mm. Are we just um, like saying stores in a mall? I was identifying a smell, but okay, oh. can I, do you mind if I finish my story? Uh, sure. No, I think that's good. So, you, so you're on. To recap, think, you're in the I, old I town kind of area. Like where you, I like where you landed with the story. So, of the Thanks. city of Orange. You know. And you're going to the antique malls. So I went into a men's vintage store. I love menswear. Mm. I looked around and it wasn't necessarily to my taste. Um, a lot of the stuff in there was oriented more towards a rockabilly vibe. Okay. But. I also went into some of those antique malls, and in one of those antique malls, I found a pair of trousers that I liked. So I bought them. They're, can you can you describe them? Thanks, John. They're military trousers. Um, they're Belgian, and they have a paintbrush camo. Oh. Uh, one of the interesting things about them is that they have a tie waist. So if you imagine a, a webbed belt, a cotton webbed belt embedded inside the waistband of the mm -hmm. trouser. Mm -hmm. And what I end up doing is I tie it in a square knot, but I sometimes think I should learn the knot that's used to close a karate gi. Oh. What Jordan, happens sometimes... Sorry, John. Well, I was going to say, Jordan, what, do you know you the mind, name of the knot? Do you mind, do you mind is, if I... Sorry, Jordan. John, do you mind if I finish my story? Please. I'm sorry. Sometimes the trousers slip if I don't tie them tight enough. Okay. Jordan, do you know the name of the knot used to tie a karate Sorry, John, gi? Can I, can I ask Jordan a question? Yeah. Jordan, you did karate as a kid. What knot do you use to tie your karate gi? That's an interesting question. And um, funnily enough, it's applicable to what you were talking about. Um, gosh, another funny story. Um, Gosh, this has been such a wild episode. Um, I did do karate for years, and I've tied that knot many times. 
you know, I could probably do it in my sleep. Hmm. Tying a knot in your sleep. That's hilarious. Um, I mean, it's an exaggeration. I wouldn't, but you know, you, sure. you kind of get, you get what I'm it's talking hyperbole, about. hyperbole, I right. think. Yeah. It's one of my favorite um, literary devices. Yeah. Um, Metonymy. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's another one. Uh, so despite having done... Schenectady. Right. No. That's a city in New York. Yep. Town. Mm. Village. I don't... I couldn't Upstate tell Upstate New York? It's the home of Union College, I believe. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of good colleges up there. Yeah. yeah. They did a lot of early work on the electric car. If you have the money, you can go to a good liberal arts school in the Northeast. Yeah. There's a lot of them there. I've heard um, that area really shines during the fall. The leaves turn. Yeah. Right. The leaves turn. You get the, oh, what do they call it? The fall colors. Yeah. It's just not something we see a lot of here in uh, Southern California. So that would be a um, novel. I have a, a follow-up question for Jesse, if I may. Can um, I finish my story? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and finish your story. I, for, I forget the name of the knot. Thanks, okay. Jordan. That was funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's... it's the human yeah. mind is um, it's a real mystery. It's a real mystery. It's a terrible thing to waste. Right. And a terrible, mysterious thing to waste. Um, Mm -hmm. Jesse, when you went to the Antiques Mall, um, how was the parking? It's primarily street parking. Okay. There are off-street lots, um, not developed multi-story lots, but just public lots, um, Mm -hmm. the sort where... You pull in, uh, park your car in one of the parking spots, note the number of the spot, um, yeah. come back to a machine of some kind. Um, and, and typically you'll, you'll punch in the number and then pay, but sometimes uh, you will actually punch in your license plate number. Mm-hmm which I guess goes into some kind of uh, computerized system um, that police officers use to tell if you are uh, scofflaw. Oh, so this is a city-operated parking lot. This isn't just a private enterprise? These are public parking lots uh, just to bolster the economy there in the Old Town area in the city of Orange. Right, right. Jordan, have you had to type numbers into machines? Um, this is a funny story. Um, I haven't. Not once. Wow. Just hasn't come up. Yeah, it hasn't come up. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. I wouldn't turn down the opportunity if it came, but... Um, yeah. You're not looking for it. You're not avoiding it. No. You're no. just yeah, I would living never. your life. I'm just living my life. And um, yeah, I just kind of work mostly with um, letters. Okay. So the numbers don't really come up. Um, I'm just kind of a big letters guy. Uh, a. Yeah. B. Um, or C, which I'll use frequently. It's a consonant. Mm. D. Yep. L. Mm. That's not where I was expecting you to go. Yeah, you can't... Um, you know, a lot of times you think I'm going to zig and I'll zag. Yeah. The heart wants what it wants, John. Yeah. Jesse, do you ever use letters to express things? All the time, John. 
Thanks for asking, Matt. Yeah. M. Good one. S. Go Sharks. Jordan, when you talk about go Sharks, but you right. don't understand hockey, are you just, do you just want Sharks to be more active? Yeah, I'm just a fan of the fish. Okay. I just kind of like fish. To... Yes. A lot of teeth. I think sharks are a mammal. Whales are a mammal. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of whales. That's, that's really funny. There are many different kinds of whales. A. Mm -hmm. B. Those are letters. Yeah. yeah I those think, are letters. I think, I think if you already... have a lot of whales, it kind of helps to assign an, a letter to each whale just so you can um, so would talk B about be, them. What is B a beluga whale or is B or is it not? Directly correspondent. Could be a, a baleen whale. Yeah. Baby whale. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Blue whale. Blue whale. A bad whale. Mm hmm Big whale. There are a lot of different whales. Well, you said it, John. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's more I, true now than it's ever been. I mean, John's I... Spoken, John's spoken like a true corduroy enthusiast yeah i mean i i again i live in minnesota we don't get whales here but i've read about them so there's museums locally yeah there's we have books and um sometimes you can go to a library and you could get a book about whales and you can sit at one of the tables they have there and they'll just let you read the book about whales for hours it's a fun way to spend an afternoon. It is. I find it relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It can be. Well, Jesse Thorne and Jordan Morris, I want to thank you for your time today and um, for letting us get a little glimpse into into the, the your lives and the things that happen in your lives. Thanks for involving us in this and um, thanks for the laughs. Yeah. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. My um my sides are are splitting. Yeah. Well, go um sharks. Those guys are great. Fish. Well, our friend Bridger Weinegar is with us. Um Bridger, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, John? I'm okay. It's um, it's sort of sunny today in in St. Paul. It's been snowing, um, clear into April, which has been a lot. Oh, um, how's the weather where you are? It's extremely hot. I think it's oh. about ninety five degrees. Okay. It's uh, been unseasonably warm. It sounds like you're in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. It's uh, you really never know what to uh. What's going to happen with the weather here? Oh, okay. Um, well, I understand that, that you are a, a cookie enthusiast. You like to prepare and bake cookies. And Yeah, uh, I find it very relaxing. Well, I would love to hear about your process and some of the recipes that, that you have particularly enjoyed. 
I'd, I would be more than happy to tell you. Okay. Well, then go ahead. Okay. I, maybe I'll walk you through a, a, just a recipe that I like to use. Okay. Um, it's nothing exciting. It's nothing... Uh, it doesn't get my heart rate up. It keeps me kind of peaceful and happy. And so Sounds usually great. I'll, you know, I'll put on a little gentle music and uh, start preparing. I'll preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a normal uh, temperature, oven temperature for most cookies. You're usually looking at a 350 or a 375. Uh, right. What kind of music are, are we talking about that you're listening to? It kind of depends on my mood, but uh, for cookie making, I uh, if I have it on the speaker in the kitchen where my boyfriend can hear and it's, you know, where it's a shared space, mm-hmm. I'll put on something a little more gentle. I'll put on something a little country tinged, uh, okay. uh, something uh, a little slower. If I have my earbuds in, I'll do something a little dancier, a little more rock oriented. tempo, sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to be aware of uh people around me and their feelings and i know that uh not everyone's ready for a a rock concert at all times so right well that's considerate of you so so you have the 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 oven preheating and what what is the name of the cookie that you're going to describe to us well the uh i have it in my google doc as uh beautiful chocolate chip cookies Mm. and it's a recipe that i've kind of put together by making a variety of other chocolate chip cookies and settled on this one as a fairly dependable, maybe not like an, uh, you know, it's not going to knock your socks off, but it's one that you can count on. It'll be a good cookie. Um, so I get the oven to 350 degrees and I start uh, gathering my supplies. And, uh, you know, the first part of making a cookie is creaming the butter. So, uh, Usually you're going to want a room temperature butter. Uh, I'm not good at planning ahead, uh, so I will usually just take it out of the fridge. Uh, rock solid butter. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I have a stand mixer, a KitchenAid stand mixer, which uh, is able to kind of power through even the hardest butter. Yeah. Uh, I they're, know a lot of. They're bakers, very effective. They're they're they do take up quite a bit of counter space. Those. They mixers. take up a huge amount of counter space, but I. Uh, the nice thing is, is they look good. Yeah. You know, it's the one appliance that doesn't, uh, it's not like a, like a microwave where it's, you know, kind of just a big block. KitchenAid right. has really sculpted this kind of timeless item you can leave yeah. on your counter. The colors are very nice. We have a red one in our, in our oh, house. Oh, that's sporty. Yeah. What color is your KitchenAid countertop mixer? Mine is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a slate gray. Oh, okay. Uh, which, uh. You know, I kind of wish I had gone for a color, but uh, what are you going to do? I'm not going to replace it now. Yeah. I'll wait for it to break down. Okay. And so I throw the butter in there. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll chop up the butter to speed the process. Uh, but if I'm impatient, I'll just drop the whole stick, half a cup mm-hmm. of butter in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll let it whip around at high speed for three to four minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'm going to be putting in the sugar. Okay. And the sugar, uh, we, you know, I like to mix it up. Uh, this recipe currently calls for three-quarter cup brown sugar and a uh-huh. quarter cup of white sugar. Oh. And 
basically that, you know, the more brown sugar you put in, the chewier the cookie is going to be. Okay. Uh, the more white sugar you put, the crispier the cookie is going to be. Mm. Is so that, look, are you happy with that consistency, about a three-quarter to one-quarter ratio? Yeah, that's usually where I'm leaning. Occasionally, I want a crispy cookie. Do you, Where do you lie with texture cookie-wise? Yeah, no, I, I, I find myself, if I, if I run across a crispier cookie, especially of the homemade chocolate chip variety, it's a pleasant surprise. But then also, if it's been a day or two, they don't hold up as well as one that has more of a chewy consistency. And then you've got like the little parts breaking off falling on the table or, or the floor and you have to pick them up yeah it's a crumblier cookie and i think uh you know if you want if you go to the store all of those cookies are going to be a crispy cookie so mm. that you know unless it's one of those weird chewy chips ahoy cookies where no one really knows what no chemical they're putting trust in there. what they put in there no yeah it's like okay. a gum or something yeah. that keeps them chewy which i'm not crazy about no no. So when I'm at home, I, I prefer a less crispy cookie. But, I you know, knowing the science of cookies at this point, I can switch it up if sure. needed. Sure. So I put yeah. the sugar in with the butter and I then cream all of that. They want you to, you know, you're told to make it as fluffy as possible. So mm-hmm. another four minutes around the, around the mixer at high speed. Uh, and while that's mixing, I'll get a, a larger bowl. And I start uh, mixing my dry ingredients. Okay. This is where the flour comes in. Mm. And I use uh, a cup of bread flour. I use a half a cup all-purpose flour. And I use a quarter cup of whole wheat flour. Uh, This is almost entirely arbitrary. Uh, I do believe the bread flour makes a... It adds a little extra flavor to a cookie that you don't see in a cookie usually. Mm. A little breadier. Okay. Uh, uh, and then the all-purpose, uh, it, again, this is com- almost completely random uh, choice with the flowers, but the mix seems to work for me. Uh, so I put those in, I stir them up with a fork, I put in a half teaspoon of salt, and I've actually put a note here in my recipe in a uh, caps lock that says enough salt, because I tend to just increase the salt every time I make a, re- a recipe, and I think oh. I probably hit a limit here. Okay, so the note is telling you that that you've you've put in enough salt. Um, yeah. Not a, it's not a reminder to make sure you've put in enough salt. That's probably <laughs> what you're going to do anyway. Right. It's more just like it's kind of a a, a call from me in the past to say yeah. you've got to stop increasing the yeah. salt boundaries. So I I mix those up, and um, at this point, so I've got my. Dry ingredients in one bowl. Hopefully by now my butter and sugar have uh, kind of come together as one. And now I'm going to be adding a large egg, two two teaspoons of vanilla, and uh, an eighth of a teaspoon of cinnamon to the butter and sugar. I'll mix those for one to two minutes just to make sure it's all combined. At this point, uh, you know, you have to, you've got to get a, the egg acts a little bit as a leavening agent, but you also, you're going to need a little bit more of a leavening agent, which is where the baking soda comes in. And a lot of recipes would tell you to put the baking soda dry into, with your dry ingredients. But this one's a little different where I'll get a half teaspoon of baking soda and put it in a teaspoon of hot water and mix those two together. And then I pour that into the butter and egg and sugar. 
Does that make it easier for the baking soda to activate? I believe so. This is, you know, it's a trick I learned from another recipe. And uh, speaking as a scientist, I will say I have no idea what it actually does. Okay. Um, But it does, uh, you know, this is just how the recipe has come together. Sure. So I get that all mixed together. And now it's finally time for wet to meet dry. And so I get my flour and salt mixture and I dump it into the wet ingredients and it's key this is you know any cookie recipe you ever see will tell you don't overmix. you just want to mix until combined you know that's where we get the expression tough cookie i believe right, um, right. overmixed dough and uh, unless you're looking for a tough cookie which you know there might be someone out there that wants that yeah maybe Maybe. And so then uh, I notice you haven't mentioned the chocolate chips yet. Right. Those are, that's, uh, that's coming. Just hold your horses. Okay. Uh, once the dough is combined, we're going to get three quarter cup uh, chocolate chips and or chopped chocolate or a mix. Uh, and I, this is, you know, this is something that I uh, can't stress enough. The quality of chocolate chips you use is going to have a significant impact on the quality of the cookie. Sure. I know that seems simple or obvious, but I think a lot of people overlook it. Yeah. And then they end up with a fine cookie. So if you spend, an, let's say, an extra dollar on your chocolate chips, the uh, results, the quality is going to be far more than a dollar's worth. Yeah. And I'll also say that Trader Joe's sells a, a very good uh, semi-sweet chocolate chip for a good mm. price. So, Do you prefer the semi-sweet to the? I prefer I a bittersweet, to be a honest. Oh, okay. You know, uh, Ghirardelli mm. uh, and uh, one other company make a bittersweet, which is a little darker, uh-huh. a little more complex flavor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, it's a nice contrast to the sweetness of the dough. Right, right. So it's so go a little go a little further than the standard toll house because there's a difference between price and value. Right. It's so important to know that, and that was that's a hard lesson I had to learn. Um, and then the you know another mistake that bakers might make is thinking that they should put milk chocolate chips into a chocolate chip cookie, and you know, that'll be a fine product, but that's going to be a very sweet product and you're going to lose a lot of that chocolate flavor. Yeah. You're, I mean, as, as the recipe states, you're after a beautiful chocolate chip cookie, right. not a fine one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So at this point you've, you're mixing in these chocolate chips, uh, again, just a quick, uh, beat around the bowl. You don't need to overdo it. And, uh, if at the same time, if you feel like adding a nut, which is not for everyone, it's a divisive, yeah. Uh, topic. Uh, I suggest you add the nuts here, a cup of walnuts or pecans chopped, uh, or another type of nut, but those are kind of your more popular chocolate chip cookie nut. Cookie nuts. Uh, yeah. Okay. A peanut is probably not going to, uh, work. It's a little too dry, uh, yeah. a little too salty. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's just a personal choice you have to make on your own. And now, uh, so the oven was probably preheated about 10 minutes ago at this point. Um, it's ready to go. You're going to want to get your cookie sheet out and form. What I'll do is, because it's just uh, my boyfriend and I here at the house, and I, if I have uh, 
a large amount of cookies around, I'll eat all of them. So what oh. I'll do is essentially just make one cookie for me and one cookie for him and then place the rest of the dough in the fridge. And then we've got dough for several days. Right. Okay. It's it's portion control. So it's accessible, but you can right. still, but it still requires some effort. Right. So you just have, uh, you're able to, you've always got a treat handy, but there's always going to be the oven and the uh, the making of the balls that will keep you from, you know, going too far with the cookies because we love a treat, but you know, they're, it's a treat. It's not a meal. How can you, I know that sometimes temperatures and, and time in the oven can vary uh, due to altitude. In Los Angeles, how long uh, do you leave those cookies in there? So this is, uh, you know, this is uh, all over the place because, yeah. again, with the altitude, etc. I'll, I'll usually start with a 10-minute uh, clock, which is almost never enough. Uh, but after 10 minutes, I'm able to look into the oven, uh, either by turning on the oven light, which is less efficient because you're looking through that strange little oven window. window. yeah. Uh, or I'll open the door and I'll look in and just see... Basically, we're looking for the cookies to have lightly browned. We don't want them completely browned because once you take them out of the oven, they're going to continue to bake for probably five minutes due to the heat of the, the baking retained sheet. heat. Yeah. Uh, so I will, uh, I will say my cookies usually take thirteen to fifteen minutes to bake. I'm currently working with a different recipe where it's called a uh, ba- a bang cookie, where I'll bake them for eight minutes, then I have to bang the the cookie sheet in the oven and then uh, allow them to bake for two minutes and then I'll bang the sheet again, allow them to bake for two minutes. What does the banging do? It basically, there's a great baker, I believe her name is Sarah Kiefer, who has developed this. It's kind of her trademark. I don't know if it's her exact recipe, but, or it's, if it's her exact method, but she has popularized it. And essentially it creates little ripples throughout the cookie uh, and they become thin and kind of chewy and crispy and beautiful to look at. They have kind of a rippled effect. Um, it is a little stressful because yeah. you're making a loud noise in the oven every time, metal against metal. Um, but ultimately, you're going to have a nice cookie, and I recommend looking up the Bang Cookie recipe. Yeah, yeah, some textures um, right. are, are, are in play. Um, how long have you been have you been making cookies? Like, um, was it big among your family when you would get together with your cousins? Would you bake cookies? I, you know, I, uh, cookies have been a part of my life since I can remember. My mother would bake, continues to bake a lot of cookies, uh, less, less so since I've uh, not lived at home, but you know, we would bake cookies. We would take cookies to family events uh, with, you know, the cousins. Uh, it's a very uh, Utah thing to have a, a little treat, whether it's a cookie, a brownie, a right. cake, or a pie. Right, right. How are your cousins, by the way? My cousins are doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. I, um, you know, uh, Allison's kids uh, have all uh, moved out uh Alexandra, of course, and her husband just bought a house. Uh, oh, nice. and I think they're doing pretty well with their dog. And uh, then Jocelyn, her younger sister, uh, bought a they bought a house a couple of years ago in Sandy, and mm. they've got their dog and they're having a good time. And then 
of course, Olivia's in New York now. She's uh, a nurse in Manhattan, and oh. uh, she's been uh, had a couple, tough couple of years uh, at work. Uh, sure. She's doing well, and Sophia's uh, in law school and oh, good for uh, her. doing an excellent job, just kind of enjoying herself. You see her on Instagram. She'll be at the National Park or seems to be having a pretty good time. And then, of course, Rosemary's kids, are they're all doing pretty well. Ian, his, uh, he's in college. Uh, I believe he's uh, studying some sort of math uh, like his dad. And uh, Isaac, uh, he's doing pretty well as well. He's in college. I'm not sure what he's doing. He's got a job. In Utah? Uh, he's going to college in Utah? Yeah, he's, he's up at the U. Uh, Ian's up at the U. Um, their brother Gavin is up at the U. Uh, I believe also studying math, kind of a family of math whizzes. And their younger brother Gabe is in high school and getting ready to graduate, having a good time. Is he also fond of math? You know, I don't know. Uh, I think Gabe might be the black sheep. I think he might be more of a creative. Oh. You know, he's, uh, you know, making some short films. Uh-huh. He's uh, just out there hanging out with his friends and being kind of a, I guess he's probably a Gen Zer. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Kind of a free spirit. Um, more of a free right. spirit approach. Yeah. Right. So those, those, guys, those kids are doing pretty well. Then, of course, Matt's kids are also doing pretty well. Uh, Will's in college. He's down at BYU. Um, uh, Josh is, I think he's in high school. He's uh, becoming kind of a competitive cyclist, which is exciting to watch from afar. And uh, Emma is in college. Caroline is in high school, and she's a part of the dance team. And they all seem to be enjoying themselves and uh, getting good grades and just enjoying themselves. And then that's, you know, that's just um, uh, the Murdoch side of the family, my mom's siblings and their kids. And I'm happy to tell you about uh, my dad's side of the family, the Weinigers, if you don't, if you've got the time. I'd love to hear about the Weinigers. Okay, well, uh, uh, my dad's brother, Todd, uh, his kids are doing pretty well. Derek, uh, I believe, is a dentist in Texas. And Trevor... I believe is a dentist in Texas. Is that and, part of the family originally from Texas? They're not. I don't know what. Uh, I'm not part of the fa- part of their family. Uh, you know, Todd's wife Jackie is from Idaho. Uh, I don't know where the Texas comes in. But uh, speaking of Texas, their sister Kara is in Texas. Uh, she's also in Texas with her oh. family. Uh, Camille, I'm not sure where she is. Uh, She's not missing. She's just uh, I haven't uh, I haven't kept tabs on her, but I think yeah. she she's doing well with her family. They've got some kids, and the youngest Chelsea uh, is doing well. She's married, has some kids. Again, I'm not sure what she does for a living or what her husband does for a living, but uh, you know, no bumps in the road for that that family. They all seem to be having a pretty good time. And then, of course, there's Denise, uh, my father's sister, Denise. Uh, her kids. You know, uh, I know a little less about. I believe Dan is also a dentist, uh, not in Texas, maybe in Utah. Uh, Chad, he's become an attorney. Uh, last I heard, I think he was in Washington D.C., but I could be wrong. Uh, Kurt, he's been doing pretty well. Uh, I haven't heard much about Kurt recently. 
his sister Brittany, you know, I think she's got kids and, uh, you know, I, again, have uh, not heard anything about her. So I assume, can only assume the best for Brittany. Um, Trent, I believe, has become a CD, uh, some sort of uh, marijuana salesman. Oh. Uh, maybe CBD oils, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, doing in that Utah? Out, or? Yeah, somewhere in northern Utah, I believe. Okay. Uh, might also be teaching yoga. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, that's Denise's kids. But Shannon's kids uh, uh, are also doing well. Devin, the oldest... Uh, I believe is, uh, I, I want to say he's working something in the medical field. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I know their dad is an optometrist. I don't know if maybe Devin followed in dad's footsteps. Uh, but again, I haven't heard anything, so uh, I don't know that there's been any drama. Uh, then there's, of course, his younger brother, Brett, who also could be an optometrist, for all I know. Uh, an ophthalmologist. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, there is a difference, and it's important to know. Uh, those are two different career paths and two different studies. So, uh, you know, I, I can't speak to Brett's experience, but his younger brother, Weston, he's more my age, and I believe he's in Texas. Again, I don't know uh, what's driving the family to Texas, uh, but I believe he's there maybe being, uh, I guess I could uh, guess he's a dentist. It's... Something along those lines. Yeah, well, you, you certainly couldn't be blamed for, for assuming that that's what he's doing. Right. I mean, the odds are in his favor at this point, as far as this uh, family goes. Uh, and then there's Brayden, their youngest brother, who I do, I, I can a little more confidently say, I believe he's in the eye business. Again, I don't want to speak, you know, out of turn. Maybe, maybe that's not what he does. He might work at the zoo, but uh, he, you know, the family all seems to be doing well. They're all married and have children. Uh, what does that make their children? Their their children are my. What is a cousin's child to it would you? Be either your second cousin or your first cousin once removed. Okay, that's good to know. Take note of that. But yeah, that's Shannon's kids, and then of course we've got Malane's kids, and Malane has uh, the oldest. Uh, Crystal Uh, she's doing pretty well I think she's uh, you know out there doing her thing that's about as far as I can say about Crystal and then her younger brother Jake who is more my age and I believe he might be an optometrist Uh, I could be wrong Uh, you know this is what happens when you know you kind of drift apart as uh, you know extended family can, can be a little hard to keep track of but uh, Jake seems to be doing well. He's got uh, family and kids. Uh, and then there's their uh, younger sister, Robin, just uh, having a great time. She's got kids. And, uh, you know, I think occasionally I'll see photo of Robin on Instagram, and she seems to be having a nice time. Okay. And Is she in Utah as well, Robin, with her family? Yeah, all of uh, Malane's kids, I believe, are still in Utah. Uh, I mean, there is a chance one of them's in Texas, just again, based on what I've revealed so far. Uh, and then there's their sister, Angeline, who I've heard less about, and I'm now just thinking about her and, uh, I, uh, I want to assume the best and I imagine she's doing pretty well. And then of course, uh, there's Joel's kids and 
Joel has three kids. He's got Tennille, the oldest, uh, Danielle, middle child, and Brenton. And Tennille, I believe she does hair. Uh, Danielle, hard to say. Uh, she's kind of got a, a red hair like me that always kind of bonded me to her. Uh, and then there's Brenton, the youngest, who I believe was uh, some sort of audio engineer at some point, and then a drummer for a maybe a Metallica cover band. Um, unclear what he's up to now. Uh, I think he's got a goatee and uh, just kind of doing his thing. So those are Joel's kids. And then, of course, there are Wade's kids. Uh, Wade is the baby of the Weiniger family. Uh, and he's got four four children. There's Jordan, who's the oldest. And I want to say that maybe Jordan is also an attorney like his father, but uh, it's unclear, at least for me. Uh, but Jordan, he's doing pretty well and having a good time, I imagine. His younger sister, Whitney, uh, you know, they, they were a little bit younger than me, so it was a little harder to keep track of their lives. But Whitney's married. She's taller. She's maybe, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, uh, tall gal, uh, has kids. Uh, the, whole, the whole Wade family is taller people. And then they have two... Those two have two siblings who I, I unfortunately can't remember the names of. Uh, they were very young, and uh, by the time they came around, it, you know, with this, uh, you know, you've, I, I, I don't know how many cousins I've named here, but uh, it's a, it's a, a large group to wrangle. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that impression that there's. There's a lot of them. How many cousins overall, like first cousins between the two sides of the family, do you have? I'm going to say, let's see, we've got 12 on the Murdoch side, and then we've got roughly 28, maybe, on the Weiniger side. I'm oh, going to say about 40 cousins. About 40. That's a rough guess. Yeah. that's You're doing very well keeping up with them. Well, I'm rich with cousins, and... Uh, you know, you've got to at least try to remember their names on occasion, just to keep that link to the past. Just to keep that in the loop. Do any of them live in Bountiful, Utah? You know, I'm going to... Bountiful is, you know, funny you say that I believe my brother Andrew lives in Bountiful, Utah. Uh, I don't stay in that uh, good of touch with Andrew, uh, but he uh, he's working with my dad, and he's doing... I think he's doing okay. I, um, I met a young man who was from Bountiful, Utah, who was a competitive swimmer. And then when he got to college, he just decided he, he didn't want to do competitive swimming anymore. Oh, that's a, an interesting turn because it feels like that would be a, you know, you hit the jackpot. You get to do the best exercise and you're good at it. Yeah, no, you would think so. But he found that he had become lonely and he enjoyed um, doing chemistry lab work and, and kind of getting into that more because he found that when he was in a swimming pool, there might be a lot of other people in the swimming pool, but he couldn't talk with them. And, right. And so then he decided to focus on chemistry where I think you talk to more people. Right. With that competitive swimming, it's just kind of you and the water and the chlorine. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's inescapably wet. But I do, uh, that makes sense. Uh, if for some, something clicks to me about being a competitive swimmer in Bountiful. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of time and there's a lot of pools. 
And so yeah, a lot of swimming pools, a lot of indoor swimming pools. Yeah, yeah. Bridger Weininger, thank you so much for your time. Oh, of course. I was ha- anytime you need uh, you know an update on my uh, family or my cousins. I'm oh, yeah, we will. Happy to share. You know, if they they're all living their lives and they're doing pretty well. Laura House is here, and you have heard her often on our show, um, leading a meditation moment. She also is the co-host of the Tiny Victories podcast, and she's a writer and a comedian, and she has a website, um, which is www.imlaurahouse. No, it's just Laura House, the website, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah www.laurahouse.com. And Laura, hello. Hello. I understand you've recently gone on a trip. I did. I recently went on a trip. It was a a three-week trip. And when I prepare to go on a trip like that, I do it in phases. I like to think about what I might take or what I'm going to need. And I'll look at the weather. I was going to Los Angeles, which people think of as sunny, but it actually gets really cold at night. And also in that trip, I was going to different climates. We're going to Lake Arrowhead, which sounds relaxing like a lake, but it also has snow on the ground. It's in the mountains. And so when I packed, I had to pack for sunny L.A., but also nighttime L.A., but also snow on the ground. And so I had to think about what I'm going to do in those climates, how I'm going to feel, what I need to wear, and then how to fit it in the bag. And the, and where mm-hmm. were you traveling from? From Texas. From Texas. Okay. Um had you already figured out the amount of luggage, the number of suitcases, what you were going to check and so I forth? I just chose. That's such a good question. I chose. If I had my preferences, I would always only ever take the carry-on yeah. bag. I'm a, I'm a carry-on person. It's something I've known about myself for a while. I just like, I like to travel light. I feel like if I need something, I can get it. But I was going for work, and so I knew I had to take my big bag. Mm -hmm. My brother and his wife, they're no longer together, um, but they bought me a large, and it's light purple, so it's very easy to see when it comes On the carousel. Yeah, Yeah. with all the bags that I, I think that's really useful. But I had to take the big one where I could almost fit in it. Mm. And it was challenging to get everything in there. But years ago, a friend of mine, I was moving to Chicago for a job. And a friend of mine asked if she could help with anything. And I didn't think there was anything to help with. But she said, I can help you pack, which I thought was weird because Mm -hmm. I didn't know her all that well. But she said... She came over and she helped me pack, which turned out to be very helpful. But she said to roll the clothes. Yeah. 
Is that something you've done before? Yeah. No, I've been um, – my wife is is from the Chicago area, and maybe there's a connection there. I don't know. But maybe she talk- it is. She was from Chicago, li- oh. originally Lithuania. Okay. Yeah, there's a strong Lithuanian community in Chicago. I didn't um, realize. Yeah. And, no, my wife told me when we were traveling somewhere, she said, roll things up tight and then – kind of stack them uh you know like what you would see done with like towels in a spa um kind of rolled up tight and mm-hmm. laid next to one another so yeah i was very surprised because i even sort of argued with her of a shirt takes up the amount a shirt has its own mass and density mm-hmm. and it's going to take up the same amount of space whether i roll it up or whether i just squish it down when it's Mm. in there but i was completely wrong so Mm. i found that to be sort of revolutionary in in the way that i pack although i find it is harder you don't know what anything is once anything is rolled up except sort of jeans are easy to spot but you're only seeing that very tippy top of the roll and but I also feel like that's just something you can deal with when you get, you just have to get there and unpack, which is another thing I was thinking about this. I didn't unpack for nearly a week. You lived out of the suitcase. Well, I lived out of the suitcase when I was traveling because it was three weeks. So first I stayed in a place that was like an Airbnb to myself uh-huh. and I immediately unpacked. Because when I travel, I like to just feel like, well, this is where I live right now. Right. I just like to claim the space. I sort of instantly make it mine. Mm -hmm. And so I did unpack, which makes my life easier and I can kind of stick to my routine. So the first week I could stick to my exercise routine and sort of I could cook for myself I was there working so I really took it easy but then the second week we were traveling just a little bit for a weekend like the George Carlin bit of now I just had to place for your stuff well yeah what stuff do I take just for three days away and it's a lake but it was also snowy and that Mm. was challenging and then I'm really out of my routine and by the third week I stayed with my friend but just in a room in their house and then it was full living out of the suitcase like all routines were just I was hanging on by a thread with that they were out the window yeah I imagine in your friend's house there wasn't an empty dresser that you could fill your things with Exactly. There's not, unless someone is like a professional Airbnb super host, there's not going to be who, who very few people have. Yeah. Just a, here's your own half of the fridge and here's your own part of the dresser or whatever. So, but what I found was when I came back and I, and I do this a lot and I don't know if it, mean something or not but I when I get home I sort of switched to the clothes I didn't take Mm -hmm. like almost as if I just pretend I don't even own any of the things that I just took with me on that trip 
I just go, you know what? I'm just going to wear my non-trip clothes. Yeah. And I avoid unpacking. Oh. Did you calculate well on the trip? Did you predict accurately um, such that you were warm when you needed to be warm and cool when you needed to be cool? It's such a good question because I I did and I didn't. Okay. And I find on these trips, like two years ago, I spent three months in Ireland. And how do you pack for that? You can't take everything. There has to be, oh, I'll buy boots there. It get, it can get very cold even in the summer. Or I'll have to buy a jacket that makes sense for that climate there or something like that. But this, I almost always have a few items that I feel particularly good about. Like, oh, I don't usually wear this little light cardigan thing, but it really came in handy because I was in a hot climate, but also working. Yeah. So I found that a couple of them were winners. I, f I feel like when I, when I pack and then a few things I didn't, I didn't wear at all. There were a pair of shorts that are red and very light and have kind of a design on it. And I thought they felt a little bit fun and sassy and they could be cool to wear, but it just didn't come up and it was frankly kind of, it was sort of cold. It was colder overall than I expected. So, which brings me to, I wore a long sleeve. It's just a long sleeve black shirt, but it comes down in kind of a V neck and it's a very soft material. And I, I almost never get a chance to wear it because I am living in Texas right now, but we're, we are moving back, but I took it and I found even a new use for it. I think of it as sort of dressy, but sometimes I was cold at night and I I wore it at night and it felt like I felt good in it, but I also needed the the warmth. So I guess in a way I get kind of a new relationship with my clothes in a way when I'm traveling. Like it's it's me and them on the road together and... I found new purposes, but there's a dark blue shirt that I'm looking at right now, to be honest, that I didn't wear once. And I, I guess I just don't like that shirt because I thought, well, maybe, maybe the opportunity will present itself. I was, I recently traveled to Washington state, um, for, for work and, um, to visit my daughter. It was, it was some work in the same town where she's going to college. And I found it, it's cold there. Yes. Well, it was southeastern Washington, but yes, it was it was still cold. Um, and I I had assumed that there would be a laundry uh, availability oh, at the Airbnb. A, that's a tough one. Yeah. And sometimes there is and yeah. sometimes there isn't. And so I thought, well, I will. I will take uh, a couple hours and go to one of the laundromats in town. And I, I found that um, the Yelp listing for laundromats indicated that there was one sort of on the, um, the south end of town that was open, but I drove there and it wasn't open. 
And then I thought, well, there's another one across town I could try to go to. But then also, I kind of had other things I wanted to do with my time. I was, like I said, I was working. Of course, and you're visiting a your daughter is there? Yeah, my daughter's there. I wanted to spend a little time. And so what I ended up doing was just um, I drove out to the Walmart just south of, of town and picked up a couple of shirts and some underwear enough to get me through the rest think, of the trip. I think that's so smart. And just join because I think you get close to those clothes that you brought. You sort of feel like you're on a team together. And so it meant adding, you know, new players to the roster. And um, but it all worked out. I, I ended up um, having I had brought gifts for various people and a few items that belonged to my daughter and could drop those off with her. And that then you uh, had more made, room. I had more room in the suitcase. Um, but I did employ the the rolling things up method as well, which um, continues to serve me well. I I find that too. I I can't imagine I'll ever not roll things up now when I pack, but it is, there's never, I think that was such a smart solution. There's never a good time that you want to be in a laundromat unless you're like, I just really just want to sit and read this book for two hours. Yeah. I think that would be the, like the best case scenario for that kind of time, but not when you're traveling or seeing people. Do you roll up your clothes when you put them away in drawers at home? No, I don't. I, we were very moved and we, as my fiance, Brian and I, we, I really did some of the Marie Kondo stuff. Once we watched, I like the idea of, you can look and see what's in your drawer. Um, but also I really struggle with this because I'm, I was about to say I'm inherently a messy person. I don't know if that's true as much as I just, I think of it as I just like to do the next thing, which I think is why I don't want to unpack. I just want to be unpacked. I just want to get on with it. I'm always thinking of the next thing, which maybe is inherently in, in messy people. Maybe we're all doing that, but I, I do, I get sort of frustrated. It's times with, I guess, similar to thinking about the laundromat when I'm folding my clothes, like I do laundry, I'm folding my clothes. I will have the thought sometimes of what am I doing with my life? Like how, how many hours or days have I spent folding? Do, is it is it that big of a gift to open a drawer and underwear is folded neatly? I don't know. Shirts you have to fold or hang, obviously, or you would look like there might be a, a problem. But I I feel like yeah, it's that it's those kinds of um chores daily chores that i i get it's not a good quality but i feel a little petulant like a child about like why should i have to do this i just need clothes to be available yeah something you might consider if you do if you're short on drawer space and you mm. choose to roll things up as you put them in something that i've discovered to be important is 
leaving some sort of indicator um, visible on the top of of the item so that when you go to get it, I mean, I... So you do roll in the drawer, like you took took roll out of just suitcase Yes, and apply it to dresser as well. And so if I have a black t-shirt, if it's a blank black t-shirt, I want to leave the uh, the tag or the label on the back visible so I could say, oh, I know that brand. I know what black t-shirt right. that is. Right, that's my that shirt. Mm-hmm. Right, but if I'm wearing, I have a I have a shirt on right now that's black um, from the band The Mountain Goats. And so I'll roll that such that I see the artwork visible mm-hmm. on the top. So then I don't say, you know, so I don't fold it with the back exposed and say, well, I could pull out a black t-shirt, but it, it could be any number of things. Right. It Especially... lets me make a better selection. Yeah, especially when it comes to black shirts, because we all have 10 of them. So which one is it? I I think of that, too, in terms of, you know, this one fits that way or this one. Oddly, with it may be the same with men, but with women, I feel like women's clothes are, oh, this is a black T-shirt and this is a black T-shirt. But this one feels 10% more dressy, so I... I put that with the quote unquote dressy things. How do you organize your dresser? I'm curious because I did whatever my mom told me to do as a child. And then it occurred to me as an adult, oh, I could categorize. You could change that. Yeah. Yeah. What what work? I really sort of asked myself like, well, what, what works for me? I tend to go with, uh, larger and larger items and heavier and heavier items as I descend. So in the top drawer, it's underwear. The lightest. Yeah. It's, it's the lightest, most ephemeral things. You know, I have a, a very small top drawer that's knickknacks and doodads and and such. So then as I go down, I move on to t-shirts and then, um, I, then actually I kind of mix it up because then I go to jeans, sweatpants, and the mm-hmm. like. The bottom row is sweatshirts and uh, sometimes like some flannel pajama pants uh, are down there. The, the, the wrinkle is shorts. I'm not sure if they go with pants or if they might even go up with the underwear. There's always kind of that that wrinkle. Oh, that's... That's interesting. I never would have thought in terms of do shorts go with underwear, but then also you're in Minnesota, so yeah, the 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 times a year you wear shorts is probably on the sh- the short end. Well, it's it's the summer. I mean, we we get quite a wide range of of temperature variation, but yes, in the winter you have to think in terms of layering. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do you go do you go t-shirt and flannel? Do you go T-shirt straight to a parka? Oh, um, which is that, that feels dramatic. It does, but if you're going to be going somewhere and then going directly inside somewhere warm, right. it does save you some time. Right, that makes sense. The Texas has a version of that where in the summer it's so hot, like a hundred degrees or a hundred plus, and you LA gets like this too, but you. 
you want as few clothes on your body as possible. So you pick your lightest, like almost if I, if I couldn't wear anything, that's how I will proceed. But then you walk into a bank or something and they're blasting the air so much. It's almost like you, you wish you had that parka. Like, like I will take a jacket in the summer for, in case I have to go into a building. It seems like they're, California is a little better about being, you know, using natural, natural yeah. yeah, natural air and stuff. But well, Laura, I, I um, thanks for for your insight and um, and good luck on on packing for the big move to to California. Um, Thank you. With your methodology, is your is your Lithuanian friend available for consulting for this trip? That would be great for if I feel like it would be rude to ask her to fly mm. over to help. But I, I do find, um, yeah, you really, it's when you unpack a move that you really wish you had been more organized when you packed. So I always try to take that in to the new, you know, move situation of, okay. Do we label all these boxes kitchen or, you know, how do we organize these things? And then I like to look online, too, for tips and tricks. I feel like there's so many yeah, life hacks or, you know, insight about how to move or just tape this up. And then in one move, all these hangers or. There's a lot you can learn uh, just from YouTube videos alone. People have. I I think Lots there of is tips. Yeah. Yeah. People have a lot of opinions about it. Laura House, thanks. Thank you. John Hodgman is the co host and titular character in Judge well, John already. Hodgman. It's already working, John. I'm already can't bore people hey, more hey, than no, telling no, my, no, my CV. No, no lively banter here, please. Okay, excuse me. Um, and uh, he's also the uh, co-creator and star of the television series Dicktown, which recently uh, kicked off its second season. Hello, John. Oh, hi, John. How are you? Well, you know, like I, I think I think I'm I'm doing okay, but could always use more rest. And um, yes. And so we invited you, and thanks for bringing your dulcet tones with you. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in a very peaceful mood because um, uh, as we record this, it is exactly noon. I've taken, I've just awoken from my first nap of the day. How did that um, one turn out? It was very nice. Thank you. Uh, I've just had a little half a can of lentil soup. Mm-hmm. And I fetched from my refrigerator a, a bottle of diet cream soda. Oh, all right. And uh, I'm I'm doing my best Bob Ross voice. Uh huh. Yeah. Because today I'd like to take you and the listeners on a little guided tour of creativity. I look forward to hearing that. Yeah. So um, I'm going to share my screen with you, John. And okay. And. Um, the listeners can can't see the screen, it together but I'll, I'll explain what's yeah, going sure. on. So let me go ahead and, and share. I'm going to share my my whole desktop with you, John, because uh, oh, okay. I have nothing to hide from my good friend. I see you're recording on GarageBand. Yeah, recording on recording locally here in Brooklyn on GarageBand. Yeah, and, the levels um, look nice. 
Today, John, we're going to play a little um, SimCity 5, uh, 2013 city simulation game that uh, I have recently gotten back into. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, I've, become, I've become better at it than I was before these trying times and um, You're a better urban planner than you once were I think I think I've I think I've grown more patient and I think that I've I've appreciated the I, I I've a better I you know now now when I build my city in Sim City and the city decides to throw a hurricane at it or a or like a giant monster lizard, which it will do from time to time. Sure. Uh, I am emotionally prepared f for these kinds of world-altering events. And um, oh, that's good. When a when a when a a, a, a microchip processing factory uh, collapses in a hazmat fire, I know I'm I know to be equanimous uh, 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 about it. <laughs> if that's a word. I can I'm just, I realize that uh, this too shall pass and we shall build again. Okay. Uh, that's good. That's a healthy perspective on disaster. Where you find me now, John, is that I've built two, two cities in the region. Now, this game was started in 20, uh, released by Electronic Arts in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, it is the fifth version of a very popular series of SimCity games. It was very anticipated when it came out. But uh, it was something of a disappointment at the time because it was very ambitious in its uh, multiplayer capabilities. People were looking forward to building cities and then and then sending lizard monsters to their friends' cities over the internet or something like that, trading coal or, pardon me, or trading uh, ore, mining ore and and and. Uh, and selling it to their friends over the internet, that's a game for some people. But its multiplayer capacities did not work very well. So instead, a lot of people abandoned it, and since then, they sold it off, and it only has a very small group of players who who just make cities on their own now as part of a solitary pursuit of personal perfection, like painting Dungeons & Dragons miniatures or doing cross-stitching or anything along those lines. That's what it is. It's just a solitary thing. I don't share it with other people, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you now. So I'm, right now I'm at the verge of making my third city in this, in this region that I'm showing you now. The, the overall region is a series of atolls uh, surrounding, a, surrounding a, 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 a dormant volcano. Oh. oh. I, and, uh, and you can see over here I, I have... Uh, this is my oil extraction city, which is mm -hmm. unfortunately uh, 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 somewhat uh, ironic in terms of current events. Sure. And the current, uh, you know, I should not be making money off of oil extraction, but I need it in order to fund this city here by the beach, which was is my, my tourist city. We're looking at an aerial map, and there are some high mountains that I think are, are one of them must be the volcano, and... Some very densely packed uh, urban architecture, some some skyscrapers. Yes. And yeah. then near that is just vast stretches of of lawn or forest. Yeah, that's where I'm going to make my third city in this region, or excuse me, my fourth, because I have my my oil extraction city. That's where I'm I I make my simoleons that I gift them to 
this high wealth city by the beach is where I have uh, my tourism. Uh, sure. I have a replica of the, I have a replica of the, um, the old, the globe theater in England is there. Oh, nice. And, um, I also have, um, what is it? The Sydney opera house, but, um, it costs quite a bit of money to put on operas and I've lost quite a bit of money presenting these operas. So I, I also have a, a, an employee. I have an employee shortage in both of these cities. And then I built this third city, which has quite a few what they call mega towers in it, in order to in order to attract enough low and medium wealth sims to start commuting to that other city. Okay, which is across some sort of harbor. Yes, and I have built in ferries um, as well as well as airships, uh, lighter than air vehicles, dirigibles, if you will. But so far, I have not been able to get my my sims from this high-density population city to actually go over to either of these cities and work. Okay. Now, that's a problem, but the problem that I am, I'm really trying to solve is how do I, how do I get a smelting factory? Mm. Because how do you I'm, get a smelting factory? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things to unlock, so... Before I got started today, I, I thought I would first just take a look at, um, let's see here, where I had it open. Where is it? Pardon me, I'm sorry, this, I didn't mean to be this boring. It's all right. There it is. Decided to first go to a online Wikipedia that is maintained by players to learn about the smelting factory. Uh -huh. Here you see so a this picture is of the smelting user generated factory. content on a SimCity specific wiki yeah, yeah. about smelting. So as it says here, raw ore is nice, but do you know what is really nice? Metal and alloy. Smelt raw ore into metal or add coal into the mix to smelt alloy. Sell metal or alloy to local industry on the global market via the Trade Depot. I do have the Trade Depot. It's already in place. Okay. I put that into my into my third city, and I have the Trade Depot, and I have a Trade HQ. The smelting factory turns raw ore into either finished metal, alloys, or both, depending on which modules you add. Without any modules, it will produce finished metal. So you see, John, the reason that I want a smelting factory... I mean, who wouldn't? But the reason I'm interested is that I'm currently mining ore and I'm currently refining plastic in my cities. Mm. And if I have alloy, then I can put them together to make microchip processors. And those sell at a very high price in the global market, raising many, many simoleons for me in order to finally, I hope, raise half a million simoleons to get a replica of Big Ben to put into my tourism city. That's my goal. Oh, okay. So the goal, so you, by starting with the smelting factory, yes. that can further your goal of the Big Ben replica. If I can get that smelting factory, I will spend less money importing alloy because I will be making it myself, you see. Mm. So the production rate of a smelting factory, of course, is 24 tons per day. The cost is 54,500 simoleons. And the upkeep, that's the in-game currency, by the way, John. Okay. And it costs 300 simoleons an hour to run. You To unlock the smelting factory, you need a smelting division built at the metal HQ. 
Do you have a Metals HQ? I, I do have a Metals HQ, but I have not traded enough alloy yet to unlock the, me- the smelting division. Oh. I also have the aforementioned employing, pr- employment problem. I have to have lots and lots of sims to work at all these factories and, and, mm-hmm. and places. Even Big Ben requires uh, employees. Sure. The smelting factory employs 1,400 low-wealth sims, 200 medium-wealth sims, and 20 high-wealth sims. There are other costs as well, of course. 48.6 megawatts per hour of power is required, as well as 25.2 kilogallons of per hour of water. That's definitely going to test my water supply and my power supply. I currently have uh, an oil uh, uh, power uh, plant, an oil-fueled power plant, as well as a fusion power plant that I was able to get because at the academy in my tourism city, I had researched the fusion power plant. The modules you can add are a smelting factory sign, which is merely decorative and costs only 200 uh, simoleons. Mm-hmm. Then you can add a smelting delivery truck garage. That's one delivery truck to deliver. It comes with one delivery truck of, of a capacity of five tons to deliver, deliver finished metal or alloys faster. But you can get up to four and each costs 10,000 simoleons and costs 50 simoleons per hour to maintain. And then you can choose between a metal furnace to create finished metal or an alloy furnace to turn ore into alloy. It looks like the alloy furnace is more expensive. Alloy is where it's at, John, I have to say. Okay. If you go in the alloy furnace, that's a dedicated alloy furnace that will increase alloy output of the smelting factory by 24 tons a day. For a ma- and you have a maximum of four per smelting factory. The cost is 36,000 simoleons to install and costs 150 simoleons per hour to keep up. To but then the alloy is more valuable than the metal, so you get more in return if you're able to sell your alloy. Yes. It's a game. Now, John, that's my goal. I'm not going to reach it today. Well, I might. We'll see what happens. But I want to take you now, and we'll just, putting on my best Bob Ross voice, let's just make a, a pretty little city, okay? Sure. Okay. I have, I have this empty spot here. It's kind of grassy. Gonna... It's by the water. Yeah. There's some trees. Yeah. And, you know, it has a this one big, it's a, it's a beautiful grassy flat plain, which makes building very easy. Mm-hmm. It's got a, a, a long beach where I can, you know, the, uh, my Sims, the, the citizens of my city do not go to the beach. So usually oh. the beach is used for um, garbage dumps uh, and uh, sewage outflow pipes. Why don't they go to the beach? It's not part of the game for some reason. They won't okay. go. They won't go onto the beach unless there is a, a casino near it or something like that. Oh, okay. So the beach is usually good for a ferry terminal or a cruise ship terminal or, uh, as I say, a garbage outflow, garbage collection, and sewage outflow. Uh, the first thing I want to do is check the wind map. Speaking of, speaking of uh, sewage outflow, I want to check the wind map, John. Okay. I got all my maps here. I got my population map tab, my happiness tab. And this is your way of knowing what it would be like to build a city here, the way of judging what the wind is going to do if you do that? Yeah. I want to know which way the wind, you want to know which way the wind blows. Sure. Right? Yeah. In so many ways. In life. So I've I've clicked the wind tab and you can see, look at this beautiful little wind is is flowing 
doesn't oh, look like that bad. Have, yeah, it's not it's not too windy, and the little blue arrows are pointing that it's going basically from right to left, mm-hmm. right to left. So mm-hmm. if I were to put any sewage outflow, I would want to put it right right here along this little bit of the shore. Okay, so the wind is blowing it out to sea. Yeah, so it's not blowing stinky air and causing uh, anger. Mm. But I can't do that until I build some roads. So let's build some roads. Okay. There's one highway that seems to be going through it, but doesn't really do much. Doesn't connect any other roads once it gets to this city territory. Well, this road here connects to the uh, uh, the other city on this island, which I've already built. Okay, so that'll be handy. And it's a nice little thing to have because it's a nice, big, wide, looks to me like a high-density avenue. Let's just check it out. I'm going to go here to the road tab, and I'm going to go to the road upgrade. That's how I just check out what the road is. Oh. And it is. It's a high-density avenue. Isn't that nice? Yeah. That's just a gift right there. That's a very expensive avenue for me to put in because everything you build, you you have to pay for. Sure. Roads, schools, city halls, uh, smelting factories. It all all costs simoleons. Yeah. Now, you see... You see here, I can upgrade it to a high-density streetcar avenue, and I might just do that later on. But I, right now, I only have 50,000 simoleons to start with, so I'm going to need to build a little bit of a tax base, and that mm. means building some roads. Okay, because with roads, you can build houses that people can move into. Well, I don't build the houses. They build them themselves, John. Oh, all right. I just, I just zone them. You remember, yeah. I zone residential, they say. Sure. Zone, I'll just don't want to get ahead of yourself or of ourselves here, but I'm just going to make a nice little residential neighborhood. We'll call this um, we'll call this uh, this little neighborhood uh, John Mo Town. Okay. We'll call it, we'll call it uh, Mo's Corners. Oh. Now, John, what do you think? Should we should we uh, should we start off with a little dirt road because that's very inexpensive, but on the other yeah. hand, you can never improve it to a streetcar. Uh, a streetcar road so seems like a good idea to have something paved yeah well i'm gonna start then take a little low density street okay. two-lane road maximum density supported is low but it's only four simoleons per per unit and where am i gonna put that john let's see what do you think mm. uh well probably not by the water if it's going to be you know mostly full of sewage people don't really care about the I would say near the the current road, like maybe maybe uh, perpendicular oh, yeah. to the present road. Yeah, you want it to come right off that road. I'm going to start it right about here. Uh huh. And I don't know if you can hear. I want you to be able to hear the sound effect. You can hear this little road being built. Oh, isn't that a nice little sound? Oh, nice. And John, I'm going to press the space bar because that space bar makes it keeps it to right and 45 degree angles. Uh huh. That doesn't look good to me. I'm just going to eyeball it and just bring it right all the way out. All the way to the border of my property there. here, right? Sure. To the edge of the border of my land. And there it is. That's the first wow. road that we've built. And what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to think ahead to the future. Just, just bear with me for one second. I'm just going to see that if I do get to do want to plop a mega tower in there, will that fit in that space? And it will very nicely. You can see. That's a little okay. too early for for what I have planned for this city. But that's going to be a nice big space for a mega tower. You know you can have it one day. I know I can have as long as I keep that distance. 
And then I'm just going to throw a few more pretty little roads in. A few more pretty little roads. I want to try to keep that space open for that mega tower. Oh, so now you're building new roads off your other new road that you had just built. Yeah, I'm just dragging one other little road out this way. I don't mm. like I don't like that placement very much, I have to tell you, John. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hit escape and cancel that. I'm gonna try it down here now. That looks that a little bit better, better to me. Yeah. It feels a little Straighter. bit better. Yeah. And I'm just gonna check ahead, you know, thinking ahead. You wanna think ahead and plan ahead. I'm just gonna see. Will a mega tower fit in there? It still will. It'll even fit over here. Isn't that oh, nice? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, for those listening, it's a, a smaller space. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit smaller. I have two, basically I have two blocks here and um and I'm But gonna, they're big I, enough for mega towers one day. They're big enough they're big enough for mega towers. And uh, you know, I I have to say this is a game that plays fair, but uh you know, from time to time they trick you and they, they make they have uh guidance lines as you draw your roads and it tends to make them a little bit too too uh small it makes your blocks a little bit too small uh-huh oops now i'm gonna draw another road here got a this sort whole, of grid this, emerging here yeah this whole this whole this side of the of the tracks as it were of the road uh-huh. this is gonna be, this is gonna be what's called mose corners oh nice yeah so let's see, what are we going to do in, in Moe's Corners? We're going to zone some residential, I think, right? Well, that would, does that people to move mean in? we can't ever put the mega tower in there or the mega tower is apartments and it's okay? We're, ne- we're not going to get to the mega tower in this session, John. I'm just no, making I'm, a pretty little city right now. Okay. All right. But well, I, sure. We, we I could zone it for fe- residential. I appreciate your feeling the anxiety <laughs> that Sin yeah. City can create in you if yeah. you don't learn to manage it. Yeah, you just want yeah. to think of it as a little bit of a puzzle. Just a little bit of a puzzle. Okay. Now, so I'm going to go over to the zoning tool here. And I can't zone unless I start the clock. Right now we've been on pause. So now I'm going to have to go over here. Oh. What and is the clock? How much time do you get for zoning? Time is always passing unless sure. you pause it. It's not that you have a certain amount of time. You can build roads, but when you want to start zoning. So let's say, let's make, let's make this here. This is like one. I'm just drawing in a green residential zone there. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to draw in another one right here. So these are areas on the new grid of streets that, that we've put in. They're zoned residential. Yeah, just zoning some beautiful residential streets here. And they're inland. They're nowhere near the water because we know that people don't enjoy the water in any kind of way that affects real estate value. SimCity 5 is full of happy little accidents. I don't want to zone this curve in the road green there. I'm going to leave that space empty so that I can put some little parks in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I'll go ahead and just, this will be, sorry, the plane is passing in the game. Oh. And I'm going to do the same over here. I thought it was, at first I thought it was near your home in Brooklyn. Um, but in my experience, the thing that you always overhear when interviewing somebody in New York, in the greater New York area, 
is it's more sirens than planes. Yeah, well, I haven't built a police station yet, yeah, but okay. that's coming up. You're going right. to need that. Now, let's see here. Oh, where'd you go? There you go, SimCity. Come back. I lost where we were. There we go. I got to come back. Okay, so I've zoned residential. And John, you can see as I go in here, what's happening? You're getting some traffic. On? You're getting some houses. People yeah. are building houses. People are coming in. They're building little houses. Oh. And you can see that they're going real close. I'll, turn, I'll just turn it down a little bit. A little bit. red one's already done. Well, there's a trailer. Yeah, right? That's the first okay. level you get. These little trailers. Oops. See? And, I, thought and it was a, I thought it was a construction site trailer for the offices and no, the subcontractors. They're just, they're just little raised houses. You okay. Can see the, the little sims are building the houses. They build houses quickly. Well, I have this going, and well, you know, if you, if you really, I can make it. A Time lot is faster. accelerating. This is turtle speed. Okay. It goes as it goes as fast as llama speed. Sure. And then, cheetah speed. Now you see they're really moving. They're really yep. building houses, all right. through most corners. Little homes are going up. Because everybody knows the turtle is a slow animal. Cheetah is a fast animal, and as everybody knows, llama is the medium speed medium, animal. Medium yeah. speed animal of the world. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So you can see that these little houses are going up here, and it's a very pretty yeah. little city. People are, seem to be trees. moving in. There's cars there now. Yeah, little cars and stuff. But uh oh, uh oh, John, look. There's in one little, of the red houses, a little thought balloon that says, "A city without power. How will I read books now?" One of my one of my Sims is asking. You've power. got to build some infrastructure, don't you? I do. And so I'm going to zoom back out for a moment. And here I'm going to pause. All right. Ooh. So we see our little city coming together here. A lot of people are starting to mention the lack of electricity. Yeah. And if you look down here at the bottom, you'll see this, this lightning bolt. That's your energy tab. And that's mm. in red right now. And that oh. means, uh, that means, uh-oh. Do you know what yeah. I mean, John? Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh. Because there's no, there's there's no, no power, power plant. Yeah. There's no power. So, and there's also no water. You can see there's, uh-oh, with water, we need to, oh, we need people to are give them need some that. water. Yeah, they're going to get then, thirsty at some point. And then we talked about sewage. Yeah. And then there's going to be garbage and fire. There are all sorts of things a little city growing, a little growing most corners needs. There's a lot of responsibility. So, John, what do you think? Do you want to put in a little wind power plant, coal power plant, oil power plant? Uh, there's also solar, but mm -hmm. you know you can see the cost of the solar. This is that's I mean, not this cheap. Is a, a teaching tool, right? I mean, yeah. alternative or new clean clean technologies, uh, uh, power technologies. They're they're not expensive. I mean, they're not inexpensive. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. That's well. just a just a plop at it's thirty three thousand simoleons, and I've only got thirty eight to go with. Now I'll yeah. get more as my residents start paying taxes, but. Obviously, they need nuclear, a reason to pay taxes. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. the nuclear power plant is quite expensive. Yeah. Here's that fusion power plant that I That's researched. That's out of range. Yeah. And I can't, I, I can't get the wave power plant from the surf. I usually find it's good to start up a small little city with just a little wind power. Yeah, that's, I, we know that it's. We know there's wind. We saw the wind earlier. We saw the wind. We know which way it blows. Let's put in a little. Let's put in a little wind power. So where are we going to put our little wind power? Let's put it over here. Oh, okay. Away let's, from uh, the the. Well, it's just the a, new a wind, streets. A wind plant 
a wind plant needs room to expand. Yeah, and you need a, you need some sort of road to get to the wind plant so yeah, that yeah. the the people who work there can get there. That's right. You can't you can't plop anything without it snapping to the grid, as we say. It's sure. Gotta snap to a road. I'll just put it plop it right there. You ready, John? One, two, yeah. three. Look at that. Snap to the road. Is that SimCity slang among the community? That's SimCity Sim Sim slang. Okay. SimCity. Sim Sim yes. Yeah. That's, that's the lingo. It's the lingo and a vocal warm-up at the same yes. time. Now, right now. So let's uh, and then let's put, let's find some let's find some water for our, for our yeah citizens, shouldn't we, John? We I think it's water. really important. Yeah. So I'm just going to click here on this water tab, and then I'm going to go to the water map, and this will show me where all the water is. Oh, so you can see the water. It looks right. like you've got a lot of water right near where some of your houses are. That's absolutely right, John. It's true. So I could take one of these cheap little water towers, and probably be enough for now. I'm going to find this guy and, you know, here Just I Just to get it started, yeah. I can't place it here because no. it's, got a plop, it's got a plop on a snap point. You've got to snap right. to the... You can't snap. plop unless it snaps. Yeah, must plop on snap point. There's even a little right. sign there, yeah. So that's no good. I could put it over here and look look at this. I could get 1,500 kilogallons per hour out of here, that's more or lot. less. That's a lot. But, but I'd be putting it on top of some people who have already moved in and... Yeah. Well, while it doesn't really matter that much, I'm not going to do that. All it so, has to do is be connected to a road. Here's a nice little patch of water over here. And if I put it over here, look at that. You're not near any houses and you can, no, you can put I'm your... Not, it's not even zoned for anything other than this. Yeah. I can it, get 15. I'm just going to see where it gets the most amount of water in this little range. Why don't I put it over here? It's a little no, bit less is, over there. This is better. One five seven nine point nine. That seems to be your winner. Let's give it a little plop, shall we? Sure. One, two, three, plop. There we go. Okay. Now let's get things going again and see what else they have to complain about in this city. All right. So now they they let's see if their water demands and power demands go down. For, oh yeah, they sure did. Yeah. See the water? We got and look at this. Look, you can see. The water is about to start flowing out of here. You see these blue dots? Uh-huh. That's water? That's the water. It's, it's getting there, guys. Watch this. Oh, Watch this. they're going to be really happy. So now these flashing water tap signs. Right. Um, they're going to disappear as soon as the water starts. Come on, sated. water. You can hear the water pumping. Come on. Okay. There, there. Watch. See? See the water going? There, yeah. Going yeah. Right oh, there down. it goes. Oh, Hidden there. House. All the little alerts are turning off. That's right. All the water is flowing. What about the energy? Is power coming from that wind plant? Not yet. They're oh. still hiring. Oh, you need to get... Oh, Now, now here's Powering City. It just turned on. They attracted some, the attracted employees. Attracted some workers in a minute. Yeah. Wait for these little yellow dots to flow. Let's make it go a little bit faster so we can watch those little yellow dots. Has there, there been, go. Has wow. there been a problem in SimCity with enough people uh, looking for work at the wages you're willing to pay? You mean the, the the great resignation? Yeah, has that happened in in your cities? <laughs> people, uh, people, uh, the the robots uh, that are Sims, the 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 dull and and greedy, and inhuman and uh, programmed and loathsome robots that live in my cities. They will take any job. Uh huh. They won't go to the beach, and they'll take any job. 
Yeah. They only get upset if they if there are if there are not enough jobs available. Oh, okay. But they all, they also they they will get upset however if you don't provide them with parks and schools and libraries and services. So it's a mix, John. It's a mix yeah. of of right-wing and left-wing fantasy. Okay. Ah, there's there's a nice yeah, uh -oh. maybe maybe they find some harmony as a result. That's right. Uh-oh, John. I got a little I got a little a little alert here. Let me go to the government tab. The petition to found a town hall has been approved. Oh, and it's free to do so. Yeah, that's right. The government is free. Yeah. Now, the question of where to put a town hall is always interesting because putting plopping a town hall raises property value. People right. love a town hall. If you put it right where all your people are, but then what if you expand further into this sector? See, you're, you see exactly what I'm talking about, don't yeah. you, John? You, you probably really want to be fairly central so people have recourse to their government. So right now, we've zoned one, two, three, four little blocks in most corners residential. This block is not zoned yet for anything. So I'm going to take this little town hall. I'm going to plop it right, right, right here. Right here in the middle. Doesn't that look nice? Oh, that's beautiful. And you want to? Oh, no. I put it in the wrong place. I put it in the wrong place, I think. Let's see. See all the smiley faces? Oh, I can name my city. I'm going to go ahead and name it. Once you have a town hall, you can rename your city to whatever you want. I'm going to call it Moe's Corners. This whole city is going to be yours, John. Oh, wow. Well, this is certainly going to... You know, uh, if I can get some interest for my show, certainly generate some donors and, and members of our program. There are no podcasts in those corners. Oh. I'll just have to go out and speak the podcast verbatim to each resident in their home. Exactly right. And in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and click this blue tab to zone a little commercial. Because one thing that is true... Sims love to go shopping. They want to go to shopping, John. Oh, sure. They need they need their groceries and other items, clothing. They need their groceries. And what I need, John, are those commercial tax dollars. Oh, sure. Because I have three, three tax rates, one for commercial, one for residential. And what do you think the third one is, John? I think it's industrial. It's industrial. Exactly right. We haven't zoned for any industrial. Oh, yeah, your warehouses, your manufacturing. They are the things that create freight right. goods goods and merch uh, for your uh, for your shops. Yeah, you can't get by on just boutiques. But you know what else they create, John? What's that? Air pollution. So you want to put your, you want to take, now remember which way the wind blows. I've rotated around the map. Let's go back yep. to our original view The wind here. blows out to sea. The, the wind, wind blows, blows out to sea. To the left. Yeah, from right to left. So I'm going to go ahead. And these are some nice big blocks. So I'm just going to draw a little road. Just a nice, cute little road. I'm going to continue this all the way over. Does that look straight to you, John? I think it looks pretty straight. That's pretty straight. All the way to the beach there. Isn't that a funny little road? It's a little bit of an ang 
It's a little bit of an angle. Yeah. A little bit of an angle to my property line. I think, it, you know, it gives it some character. I think it makes it mildly eccentric. I don't care for it. Remember, this isn't this isn't a, a hobby of the pursuit of the personal, solitary, eccentric. It's the pursuit of the solitary perfection. Okay. Let me try if I can make this a little bit more. Is it most soothing to you when everything is is as tidy as possible in your layout? Does that help you as the oh my god yes, player? John? So why did you even <laughs> ask that question? Not just in my game either. <laughs> does that look does that look perfect to you, John? Yeah, no, that's great. Now everything will be okay. I think this looks a little bit perfect to me. That looks about right. Just sorry. You saw the soothing Bob Ross John went away. Uh -huh, the, re yeah. so the regular nervous John Hodgman came back. <laughs> I like that very much. That looks very nice to me. And we'll put in some other now. Put in, put in some sound some commercial, should shout shan't we? Whoa. Get back. I don't oh. want to see my calendar. So is this um are we zoning commercial or industrial right now? Excuse me and thank you very much, John. You I appreciate you. Sure. Well And in this case The guys on the construction crew wanted to know. I am gonna draw with. another road right here along my property line. Oh, so yeah. Can, so that I can draw real. Normally, I don't bother with that. But I want to draw real blocks. Yeah. Commercial. I mean, the one, excuse me. it doesn't seem like you name the roads, but um, I've seen a lot of roads, like the one along your property line here, be referred to as frontage road. Uh, yeah, exactly so. I'm going to refer to it as frontage road. John, it's your city. It's Moe's yeah. Corners. Yeah. Right, let's go ahead back to our back to our little uh our little zoning tab. I'm gonna just kinda if I just press the command button I can just zone the whole block. Commercial. I mean industrial. Industrial. Oh, I see. They're color coded. Yellow is industrial. Yeah. And I'm and I'm thinking that I might hold off there. I think that's probably two big blocks of an industry is pretty good. Yeah, I think right off the highway you probably want to leave open the possibility of some commercial zoning there yeah see john you're already getting your for let's convenience take our, let's take a look at our picture here look at this this is turning into a really nice pretty little city and there are no mistakes they're just happy little accidents yeah you see people are moving in sure let's go, let's go ahead and let's oh there's the a whole new housing development there yeah. in the uh towards the main highway yeah, I'm seeing some green smiley faces pop. Yeah. We've got yeah. plenty of power, plenty, plenty of, of power. water. Sewage is a problem, but this is where we start. You can see those little brown dots of sewage. Oh. When I hit the sewage tab. Yeah. So let's put let's plop some in, inexpensive little sewage outflow pipes. Right by the water. Where right it could just water. go out to the water and cause no harm. That's right. If at all the possible, drain damage, everything into the harbor. Damage, damage to the environment is of no concern in SimCity. It's only, right. it's only does it bother your Sims. Yeah. How did I do there? 
Well, because, you know, you're not going out to the water. So then what good is the water? Just put a sewage pipe there. Right. Now I've got plenty of sewage. My government is working. Oh, that's good. And then we're going to need to we need to have some a garbage facility. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead. Do you need to build a dump? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I have a little garbage dump here. I could also build a recycling center, but that's too much money for me right now. I'm going to go ahead and build a little dump, but i got to wait a minute. Because look at the cost of the garbage oh, dump. Oh, you don't have quite enough simoleons to build the garbage dump, but you're close. But I'm close. And you know what's happening is I'm making 591 simoleons an hour in tax revenue. Oh, and all you need is 162 more to get that dump that you had your eyes on. Yeah. So uh, let's speed it up and just watch watch our industrial. Let's go to llama speed. In, our industrial center grow. Oh. We'll watch that sewage outflow pipe pump out its sewage. Watch this, John. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to go all the way to cheetah speed. Oh, oh wait a minute. I have enough now. Oh, okay. I have enough. I would advise I people, enough. I would advise our listeners to pick up um, John Hodgman's book where he goes through a, a sort of moral and ethical uh, and uh, bureaucratic uh, journey regarding a, a garbage dump in Maine and how much of it he sh how much responsibility he holds for his garbage when he presents the garbage under a different person's name thank you for that plug john i appreciate that i like to keep him nice and tight the garbage dump that's gonna go right where's it gonna go john you see you want it right down here by the water i think a little bit inland um yeah right, right there is, there is probably go. good and we'll just plop that right there. Yeah. Right. Now, what's my unemployment crisis? And we need we need more. There are more workers than there are oh. jobs. Zone industrial or commercial. That's okay. These these industrial buildings are being built right now. Let's really watch them. Let's move in and watch our city grow. This is the. And do you city. know what those industrial products are? Like, are they are they making a? Is there a smelter? No, no. I remember we started with the smelter. I have to get a, a smelting module on the metals HQ, John. Okay. But here you see these little buildings are they're popping right up. And now. Now, how's the employment level? Now people are are coming. Right. People are coming. What's happening here? Under construction. Oh, here comes some more. A couple new buildings going up. Yep. You can just hear, listen to that satisfying sound. Listen to this. Oh, yeah. That's the sound of industry. Sound. I'm making a thousand simoleons an hour. All, my whole board is clear. No yeah. one's giving me any alerts. Yeah. We're in, you... we're in a, a, a stasis here. This is a really good time just to sit for a while and just enjoy and, and let the let the revenue come in. Right. I'll take a little tour over here. We're going to cheetah speed. See what's happening over here. All these residential. 
lot of boxes. small houses, a lot of tiny Children. houses. Yeah. They're going to get bigger in a second. Okay. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get, get some more of them by building, building the road right along here. Turning this into a real city block. And then I can go ahead and zone that all residential there. Just that nice line of green there. Some new houses are going to go in there. A nice line of green there. Basically double our money for this. I mean, it's not just about money, John, of course. It's about making a nice city for wonderful robots, but, you know. Sure. And a little bit more residential here. Try to keep everything in balance. Keep up that tax revenue. And we'll do the same thing over here. I'll just add that one more little road over here. Zone a little bit more residential. It's better to have more workers than you need. Because if you have more workers than you need, and you have a train station or a bus that can take them to another city, I have unemployment problems. I mean, I have underemployment problems in those cities. They'll commute out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, so Moe's Corners is kind of a bedroom community, or could yep. be. Yeah, it's kind of a bedroom community. It's an outer ring um, suburb, we might call it, here in Minnesota. How are things in Minnesota, John? They're, they're unfairly cold, John. It's, uh, <laughs> we're recording <laughs> this in what could arguably be mid-March, and um, it's seven degrees outside. John, that's uh, that's not fair. It's not fair. Sometimes, and and uh, and I think this this conversation picked up uh, after the your last book, which is a lot about being in Maine. Uh, Jill and I, my wife, uh, t talked about what if you know where where would we go if we could escape here, and I came up with a daydream running a bicycle rental business on in coastal Maine and uh, and that but I was I was held up by the fact that uh, I don't um, particularly enjoy bicycles and don't know how to repair them so that might uh, be on hold for a while sorry John the uh, the noise of <laughs> the drone of my city humming and my yeah. flow state but yeah. these little guys working here. Oh, you've got a conveyor belt there. There's some boxes. Yeah, you can go right up close. Going you through. Can, you can even talk to an individual person. They'll say, "This is Wilfredo Sellers. He's keeping the machine running. He's Came from, from Splurtco. Splurt Splurtco meat, meat patties. Yeah. Bicycle rental would be a, a a challenging job if you don't know how to repair bikes and you don't care for them. Yeah. I don't enjoy talking about them. I know I know several bicycle enthusiasts who can talk all day. It's you know it's not that different from from uh, bike guys are not all that different from computer guys or amplifier guys. Right. Um, and I, I just don't know if I could wear a hat like that with the, the bill flipped up. I guess I wouldn't have to. One of those little Italian biker hats. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in Breaking Away. Like in Breaking Away. Now here I am just wandering through. Look at us wandering through our city together, John. Most corners. This is some unfinished land in most corners. Oh, yeah. 
You see my my mega towers from my other city way off in the distance. You can see them in the distance. Are those palm trees or are they just yeah, trees? Palm trees. Or okay. you know, this world's approximation. This is 2013 graphics technology here. This is um it reminds me of the uh the King Kong movies. The more recent King Kong movies. The this sort of mountain and palm tree terrain. Except uh Skull Island. Skull Island, yeah. Kong, yeah. Although I don't think this would have uh, our friend Mark Evan Jackson being squished to death. What a delight for him that was. <laughs> Here's Kendrick Bowers. He's running errands. Yeah. He was just at the Castano residence. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, let's grab another little person here. Boy, people are very busy with their walking around. Chastity Bowers is running errands. All right. Um, it's going great. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, John. What's something's that orange sound? on the something's orange on the board. What's that? Well, it's health. a little it's a health symbol. It's a little caduceus and a thing there's no there's no i forgot to build a hospital and i forgot to build a fire uh station and there's no police either oh and there's no schools <laughs> so boy it's so much more than just putting your sewage pipe at the beach i'm happy to share that one piece but you, know, you do have to you do have to build uh systems yeah build systems and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to build a little system here Who's the pulsating purple figure there? That is a symbol that there is an injured sim living at that residence. Oh, okay. The, the map is starting to give me little clues that things are not going well. Oh, you heard uh, Dexter Cameron speaking just there. Yeah. Yeah, something's something's wrong. Yeah, they're saying, uh, Abraham Banks says, I came from the Wood residence. And there's some injuries, so... Problem is, John, we have to we have to make some decisions here. We have to decide what we're going to build. I think a hospital seems to be, or a clinic at least. Yeah. 20,000 simoleons. Well, you can afford it. And, you know, when you, when you put it down here, you can, weekend, it's your, it's your town too, John. Yep. When you put it, when you plop it down here, it becomes part of a, you can see the, you see the, Streets lighting up green. That means that's where hospital, there will be hospital coverage. Is it like the water or the power? And soon we'll see health itself uh, pulsing through the city. Pulsing through the streets? No. But you'll see my little ambulances and your little ambulances. For the purposes of, of my program, is there a therapist's office that can be built? The only mental health uh, considerations are um, parks, cultural okay. events, um, and the sewage pipe at the beach, of course. Yeah, there's a hot like in my in my tourist city. There's a hot air balloon park where people can take hot air balloon rides. Yeah, not really mental health, but fun. I guess. I guess probably <laughs> not strictly a mental health treatment. No, to go in a hot air balloon. John, what do you think? I could put my I could put my hospital there, or I could put my hospital over here. I would put it 
in the second place because it's a little closer to City Hall. Yeah. It feels and, like, uh, doesn't that feel natural? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and do that. You ready? One, yeah. Two, three, plop. Well, John, I think um, I think uh, the city is off to a great start. John, I'm going to be working on most corners all afternoon. Thank okay. You, thank you for giving me an excuse to make do SimCity during the daytime. Yeah. Our last thing before we go, I'm just going to show you the hot air balloon park. Oh, thank you. And you can tell me whether you think uh, whether you think that that's um, interesting or not. Okay. Or valuable or, or not. Go out to the region. Go back over here to Nuilani. No, thank you. Go out to the region. Okay. Come oh. on. Let's try it again. Okay, there's a bug. There's a bug, John. Uh-oh. It's not working. Mm. I hope that most corners is saved. Yeah. And you'll have to imagine <laughs> the hot air balloon park in your mind. It's really quite impressive. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. There, there's so much natural recreation out there, too, with the vast lawn and uh, abundant trees. There we go. Oh, Let's go yeah. over there, load it. And in about 30 to 45 minutes, once the city is loaded. You'll see. You'll see what most. You'll see maybe a glimpse of what most cornered. What, what kind? While we're waiting to load, load, John. What kind of city do you want your city to be? Uh, in, in what in what sense? Well, your city could be a tourist city or a gaming city. Oh. It could be dedicated to the extraction of fossil fuels. It could be dedicated to the manufacture of. Uh, goods and freight could be dedicated to the manufacture of um, uh, electronics. Um, I want it to be a sleeping city. You want it to be a resting city. You want it yes. to be, you want the city to be the most mentally healthy of all the cities. Yes. I want it to be serene. A, a city, a, a La, La Repubblica Serenissima, the most serene republic. Oh, see, that's it. Everybody. That's, the Venice, tourism you know. industry alone would explode. It'd be wonderful. That's Venice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so here, this is my tourist city. And here's the Sydney Opera House. Uh-huh. And of course, it's 2.30 a.m. So the balloons are not running. Currently. Sure. You everyone's, getting some, everyone, everyone's getting some rest. Everyone's getting their standard 12 to 14 hours of sleep. That's our SimCity Launch Park. It's closed for the day. Hey, you come on back someday. I'll let you show you what Moe's Corners is like. I look forward to it. John Hodgman, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and uh, happy city building, everybody. <laughs>